name is Katie. This is Classically Black Podcast. Where we talk all things classical music and being black in the profession. Wait, trap beats play in the background. All right. <laughs> That's literally my line. <laughs> I mean, I guess. I mean, it's been my line for 18 episodes. All right. Well, 17. And then. I'm confused. This is not a complete episode yet. Let's discuss. <laughs> You're annoying. <laughs> Shout out to my homie Offset with the album. Girl, meanwhile, you. What happened? After what he did to. No. I mean, oh, I was going to say something I mean, that I'm not supposed to say on this podcast. I mean, what? We know how men act, not men. So we're just supposed to accept that? No, of course not. But I still appreciate a good album. I thought it was good. I didn't, okay. I did, like I said before, I did not listen to all of his album. I listened to half of it. Um, I'm just. I'm talking around. Anyway, I'm just accustomed to certain men acting a certain way. They all, all these That's rapping, all these, I'm not saying it makes it right. I'm saying all these. No, but I'm just saying like. All these rapping people, they do the same thing. People, you know what I'm saying? But like, I appreciate a good album. I see, you know, you bumping Wagner, but whatever. Wagner ain't, you cannot compare. <laughs> are you joking? Are you, yes, I am joking. Okay. I was <laughs> I was like, you, Cardi. But I'm just saying that doesn't make a difference to me. <laughs> um, There's literally a lot of music that you just could not listen to. Then if you, if I'm not was, saying I can't listen to it. I'm just saying that doesn't make it like that doesn't do anything for me. What do you mean? Like either way, like to say, why they act that way? Like that is, I still f- feel that way about him. <laughs> I mean, I'm not either saying how, I'm not telling you how to feel about Offset. I'm just saying I like the album. Do I like Offset as a person? Um, one, I don't know Offset exactly. Yeah. Two. I'm just saying. Every time I see him, I just be. Ugh. <laughs> I mean, I like the thing where he came to her job and was like, "Cardi, take me back." Like, I mean, that's a whole other cop- topic about like men and how they feel like they could just do whatever, and like women are just supposed to be like waiting for you when they come, like whatever. And then you went, okay. I just every time I see them again, it makes my skin crawl. I'm like, you could just you see so what? Much. Every time I see them together, I'm like, you could do so much better. Cardi, you can have he's any, nothing. He's comparison. literally nothing. Like, but and he made you look that way in front of everybody. And you took him back. Now you looking like a booboo the fool. She literally looks like dumb. Boob, like, <laughs> however, the point is, shout out to the homie Offset for I'm the album. This out. Am I editing this one? Anyway, we'll see what I decide to do when I edit this one. We'll oh. see. I probably won't because it's a big, a uh, fast turnaround. <laughs> uh, news. You got news this week? Um. Yes, I do. Um, so there's an update on Elizabeth Rowe, the flutist from the BSO. Who... Oh, let me lean in, baby. <laughs> so, so a recap for people who um who may not have listened to that episode or haven't heard this story before. Basically, Elizabeth Rowe is the principal flutist. Is the principal flutist of the Boston? I'm about to Symphony say was that's an update. No. <laughs> Could you imagine that was upset? Well, she was. <laughs> that is terrible (laughs) um the um the boston symphony orchestra and she filed a lawsuit against the orchestra last july um because she was being paid seventy thousand dollars less than the principal oboist who was a man um so when you say it it's just sorry keep going crazy um so she was um seeking equal pay and also two hundred thousand dollars in unpaid wages from she had been asking for this money like for years and they and so this like lawsuit was literally like the last straw so basically um they and she entered mediation with the orchestra with bso in december and uh the case was closed uh 
like last week, I think. Oh, about shoot. A week and a half ago. Oh, this tea is hot. <laughs> Let me lean in. So they don't tell us too much because apparently, like, the it's confidential. Right. I mean, so we Yeah. It's confidential, like, it what, um, what happened. But um, basically, they settled last week. So I don't know what they settled for, but. <laughs> Get your things, girl. Listen, I ain't mad at you. I had to do it to them, so can we say um on the same topic of orchestras being on dirt um, <laughs> <laughs> the chicago symphony uh is looking at a strike um starting on march 10th wait can you remind me has the chicago symphony been on strike before i, I feel I like someone's gonna tell me i feel like i can't remember i really feel like it was chicago symphony let me not talk about my i don't know whether or not they've been on strike before however i do know that um Basically, they're in negotiations right now. They have a couple of negotiations set up, and that's when their contract ends. That contract actually ended last the end of last year, mm-hmm. but that it was extended to March 9th, I think, to um to sort of like see where the negotiations were gonna go. Mm-hmm. Um, so on March 10th, if the negotiations don't go where they want them to, if they can't come to an agreement, then they're going on strike. Um, and initially, I was like, CSO on strike, like such a renowned orchestra like, yeah, what like you to... literally look first of all i'm so sad. chicago is not doing too well right now for oh. for for several <laughs> reasons one that happened yesterday one that happened and then now this like three one two seven seven three seven oh eight do better all right here you go um two two four okay i forget i always forget about two two four oh <laughs> uh, so basically the orchestra um what their complaint is that their benefits and their compensation has been the same but their schedules and their schedules have increased and the working conditions have deteriorated which i was i just want to know what that means working condition now you you pulled to rehearsal you got folding chairs Mm -hmm. (laughs) you rehearsing outside they playing you a midi a (laughs) no oboes (laughs) can you imagine you gotta set up your own chair (laughs) viola tear down Oboes, two of you guys get to work. <laughs> like, what? What does that mean? It's probably you know what. Yeah, I guess somebody who's in an actual orchestra can tell us what. Like, what? I right. don't know because I'm that's, so that's so above my head. Uh, so work <laughs> work conditions. What is? What could it? What could? I'm trying to figure out like what could it really be? Half the lights in the hall don't work. Oh, uh, can you um, imagine <laughs> Symphony Center? Sim- is it Symphony Hall? Oh no, Symphony Center. Symphony Center. The, yeah, the lights not working. You mad now? You, you in the middle of Beethoven second, and <laughs> lights flickering on stage. It's not funny. <laughs> um, help us out. What does that mean? <laughs> they didn't really go into detail about that. What they did go into detail about is the fact that the CSO has had one of their best years. Um, in terms of like ticket sales with nearly 350,000 tickets sold Shucks. which is more than 200 okay let me let me slow down before I start which is more than 23 million dollars in revenue <gasps> and I got some quotes from people in the orchestra that I was like oh, the tea so um Gina Gina DeBello who's a violinist and CSO said with the CSO maintaining stable revenues, ticket sales, and donations, management's attempt to squeeze the orchestra by ending our defined benefit pension plan, raising health care costs, and stagnating wages is both an insult to each of us and a danger to the reputation and viability of the institution itself. I was like, they raising health care costs? 
For what? And, th- and they're cutting your benefits? Now, ugh. okay. Y'all cutting benefits, raising costs, and then the s- salary stays the same. I was like, that is crazy. She like for like she's right for an institution like that. Yeah, like and y'all, y'all the CSO was just going, and you had to have known something was gonna come with this. You think people in the CSO are just gonna be like, oh it's okay we like no you mess with people's healthcare people <laughs> people's kids people like, got kids right and you now you you playing and the, the thing is they probably you know people be swindling they probably playing you know let me just throw out the symphony on this program real yeah. quick and, and then you turn around you playing four hour concerts you like wait hold on you think ain't nobody t- keeping track of that exactly y'all had to have known y'all had to have known and um another another person sheds a little bit more light on it saying that they're that management is trying to squeeze them to pay for their bond debt for the rehabilitation of symphony center, which was more than a hundred million dollars. That's on y'all. Right. <laughs> like if I was in the orchestra, I'd be like, <clears throat> right. Ain't nobody tell y'all to, <laughs> so we know the lights not flickering because a hundred million dollars buy you a whole bunch of light bulbs. So, but you know, shout out to the people in the orchestra because even now, like I'm joking around or whatever, like just to, to spend, they got your whole government name on the, on this thing, speaking mm-hmm. out against them. Like that's, Go ahead, sis. Right. I know. If I was a, tenure must be a beautiful thing. Honestly, <laughs> because honestly, when, when I get my little orchestra job, I'm going to be like, you know what, guys? It's really not that bad playing in the bathroom. They used to <laughs> nah, I'm lights. on the thing with that with this, that dark silhouette and your voice are like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be me speaking out. I'm not going to speak out. I'll be like, guys, you know, it's, you know really, how much do we really need heat in January? <laughs> yeah, guys, we should really music like i'll be i'll be that one because i worked hard to get here the stage is on the same level as the seats (laughs) it it creates an intermersive concert experience it's okay that some of us have to stand (laughs) not enough chairs it's okay that your chair only has three legs i like standing and you know violas we need a really we need a really strong core so i feel like when we sit on stools we're like developing our core (laughs) the cellos just pull your infant all the way This thing's going on for way too long. <laughs> they really truly do. Oh my god! Can you imagine? You go to the CSO. They got tell us just put your pants all the way out. Now you your Stradivarius. So, um, my teacher, Doctor Block. My teacher, Doctor Block. His son is Mike Block, mm. and Mike Block is famous for the Block Strap, where it's like you put it. it it looks like a harness. It's a, yeah, it's yeah. A, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, it's, uh, nice. it's a harness for your cello, so you, you can walk around and play. Mm-hmm. So now you get to work at the CSO <laughs> on Monday, and they got twelve of them lined up. <laughs> you <better know. laughs> you Just on the floor where you used to be. Put your block straps on. All right, guys. So we, I'm like, we, we want to promote blood circulation. <laughs> you mentioned the finesse. We're trying to promote blood circulation. So we thought it would be a really nice gesture to give you block straps. So now feel free to move about the cabin as you. <laughs> you going on tour and propeller planes. And <laughs> now, now CSO isn't, um, <laughs> CSO isn't, um, partnership with Spirit Airlines from that <laughs> moment. <laughs> now they, now they strapping your base to a, strapping your base to a bird. <laughs> right. They got you moving your own stuff because I remember I, I did a side-by-side with the LA Phil and like the extent to which they got people like, the, them 
them bass players they don't even touch their bases until it's time to play they bases live at the hall they got people to move them all right but now, i'm spirit now you on now, now you, you on, moving it yourself and you but you you on the on a tarmac trying to <laughs> you directing the plane now you gotta run and catch up. <laughs> i was gonna say you gotta run <laughs> you, they got somebody holding c- c- grab my hand <laughs> We've gone so far. <laughs> can you imagine? So can I see us on tour now? They they doing they doing a, uh, a European tour. So they but they don't want to stop playing. So they just propel you over uh, Berlin, and <laughs> drop you, drop you first, and got to catch your base after <laughs> catching a timpani. <laughs> catching timpani. Now, wow. Now you catch you catch all but three, all but two of them. Catch the first one, but the the biggest timpano falls on you. <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> Um, okay now okay me never getting a job at the cso because when i get to my interview they play this <laughs> okay can you imagine passing every round katie brown and this is what and i get to the interview i'm like we found this <laughs> what were you saying about us right <laughs> what was that <laughs> i'm like you i'm like nah you missed the part i was listen you messing you that was katie brown i'm Catherine. yeah i'm like <laughs> you bugging dog <laughs> I'm over here yelling at Mooty. What you mean, son? I said some nice stuff from before that. <laughs> I'm like, y'all was on dirt. I caused it like I see it. <laughs> okay. I was going to say this right after I said that, and then we just went on and on. Oh. <laughs> but um, basically, the same person that said, um, y'all shouldn't be trying to, trying to, uh, what am I trying to say? Try to pay y'all debt with money from our packages. I mean, to renovate this that y'all use to renovate this hall because when people think CSO, they think the musicians, they think our maestro and the music that we play, they don't think, oh, Sy- Symphony Center, you know? They, other things probably happen there. Is that, and did they say, cha- change out them, them red seats and my booty hurt? Now you halfway between the Schubert Symphony and, and now your butt on fire. They change them seats out? I have no uh, information on that <laughs> <laughs> at this time. <laughs> well, um, if there is not something, you know, an agreement reached by March 10th, then a hundred CSO musicians will walk out and performances will be suspended. So could you imagine? I bet you they they are screaming. You know, they're trying to figure that out quickly. Exactly. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And like some people pre bought their tickets. Yeah, people y'all subscribe to y'all whatever. Exactly. Like this ain't no rinky dink whatever. This is the Chicago Symphony. Like. <laughs> Ooh, Chile. Chile. Well, Godspeed. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> oh, shoot. Hope you make it through. <laughs> I mean, I honestly do because this seems like this could be a disaster. I mean, but also, like, you know, I feel like they're going to they gonna reach some type of... Yeah. There ain't no yes. way y'all just going to be, like, calling you. R.I.P. Right. <laughs> you imagine they sitting in the office, like, bet y'all ain't finna walk out. Like, you imagine? Now it's March 9th and they be like, nah, they really about to. Now they packing up they black stripes <laughs> <laughs> all right let's move on to intermission <laughs> all right y'all we're back and it's time for intermission so as y'all know that about once a month we have a different guest on the show so this week <laughs> we are talking to richard desinor say hey richard hey <laughs> okay <laughs> here you go i didn't know if i was supposed to copy you or just like say hey or something so Hi. <laughs> Sorry, like this is a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just playing. So this week we are in the, we are in the studio with Richard Desinord, um, PhD student here at Eastman in theory. Which, which we'll we'll get into why in the world. I mean, <laughs> I just I have so many questions. Like, 
on purpose you put the wrong you know how like when you apply to east when they got a drop down thing <laughs> and he meant to pick like piano oh or something right. but he picked or theory literally anything else <laughs> and, <laughs> and then your finger slipped and then it wouldn't let you go back right. and it was like because the, you know how they be like you you gonna submit whatever so he probably like just like read it real quick and then right. and then he just right when you accept the terms and conditions and then and right right and then he got his acceptance letter and they were like Ah, oh, bet he was like theory. He's like, I ain't pick no theory, but it's free. You know what I'm saying? Or whatever, whatever stuff you got going on. He'd be like, I right, bet I could probably do that. That's that has to be what happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we didn't crack the case. You don't gotta answer no questions. <laughs> All right, thanks for doing this, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, this is a mistake. We play all day. All day. <laughs> so, Richard, go ahead and introduce What's yourself. Tell tell us about yourself. Okay. Um, well, she already said I'm Richard. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> a little bit about myself. I'm from uh, from the D.C. area. I'm from Washington, D.C. Come on, DMV, um, stand up. Yeah. Um, yeah, what else? <laughs> That's it? <laughs> I figure everything else, I'm going to answer all your questions if I go into it. Okay, so we're still going to keep on with the intermission stuff. Can you just tell us... Um, mm your research interest like anytime i've noticed that eastman anytime like you a grad student the first thing i like to ask you is what are your research interests but your research interests um tie into intermission so just tell us a little bit about that tell us what you're doing blase blase let's go okay so like you said i'm a music theory student um research interests it's weird i actually was doing stravinsky when i was at penn state uh, a few years ago weird way i got into that i was supposed to be doing like Mahler or something but then i was like oh my professor she was real cool maureen carr and then i got into stravinsky and then i always had the interest in like black music especially like like contemporary gospel neo soul stuff like that and i started to try to get into that with stravinsky with this went marcellus thing that he did based on mm-hmm. uh, stravinsky and i had to put that to the side because i couldn't really write a thesis that quick based on what I was getting so um yeah so right now the research interest like I feel like I have like free reign to do what I really want um at this point so um it's really based on like I said artists like Music Soul Child Jill Scott but more so with uh Robert Glasper's music and Mm -hmm. studying his harmony and I'm not really interested in the like the the lyrical part of this stuff yet. I just want to study the harmony. Nobody's really talking about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's the main thing right now. Uh, when I say gospel, like I said, it's contemporary gospel. Yeah. Um, so now, like, the real, real old artists, although I do have an interest in how gospel music is shaped by, or, yeah, has been shaped by uh, the evolution of, like, the spiritual and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but that's, like, like, way far off from where I am right mm-hmm. now. So more so with artists, like, Kirk Franklin, Hezekiah Walker, um, oh, all the way up to <laughs> all the way to the artists that you know right now. So, yeah, even contemporary artists that might like bridge that divide or the so-called divide between mm-hmm. R and B and gospel, and that's something that you see a lot. And um, and looking through history, is uh, a lot of these things are interchangeable as far as like the harmonies and stuff that they use. Uh, mm-hmm. It's sometimes no difference between jazz and gospel or r&b or anything like that like what is secular is basically gospel what's gospel yeah some people make it explicit like chance the rapper he'll rap over something that is explicitly gospel Mm -hmm. um but 
sometimes it's not they'll just invoke god or religion into something and without that word like being explicit you still you would never know the difference in between each one so it can be in the church or outside of it it's still the same thing just music mm-hmm. yeah. you mentioned like you're studying the like the harmony in in gospel music which mm-hmm. is like really interesting to me because it's like i think a lot of people think that gospel music is really simple because Man, <laughs> because it's like you know if you look like him like, this is very simple but like if you think about like hymnals you know you got like one four five one mm-hmm. one four maybe maybe a two in there maybe and then it go four one you y'all know i'm in you said what said, y'all lost me talk about all this theory joke. <laughs> but it's like when i be watching like a good organist mm-hmm. like organist at my church and it's like the harmonies and the stuff they got going they got all types of different chords it's like people have no idea how complex like gospel music can be especially like so, oh, of course. And I think that's yeah. a problem with a lot of it. And that's why I want to really get into it with my research is that, like you said, it's some really complicated stuff that's mm-hmm. happening. And I think just like anything, there's a lack of familiarity with yeah. it from like people that's like really up there in the field that probably could like get with it, but they just don't want to. So, yeah, um, like you have these scholars that can analyze all sorts of like rock music or um any source of like popular music, classical music, anything like that, but they stay away from gospel music. And it is complex. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's so complex that no one can understand right, it. It's a tradition that's just like jazz is mostly, at, initially it was like passed down orally a lot of times. Mm-hmm. A lot of the tradition is not written down. There's no gospel theory book. Um, there's no gospel theory tradition that people like just talk about you don't see articles written about gospel music theory but i would say that the harmony is more rich than um i don't know a kurt cobain song or something like that but you still don't see that many articles written about it i think most of the time it's musicological it's music is like music historians talk about it a lot but yeah the, mm-hmm. it's it's complex enough that it it warrants further discussion right feel in the academy but and then i mean at the end of the day it is something that is played and enjoyed mostly by black people mm-hmm. and if they're like a thousand like say you go to a conference and a theory conference and it's like a thousand people there and then it's only like five or ten black people it's not gonna really expect to see that stuff i would say like you might argue somebody might argue that a gospel or not not a gospel artist but like some type of like popular artists like Kanye West or somebody's going to study rap because you'll see that at a theory conference. You'll hear somebody mm-hmm. give a presentation on um, lyricism or like uh, like meter or something like that within rap. But that's something that is like consumed widely by like different races. Right. So you see a lot of artists. You saw in like the early 90s, like white parents getting upset with their, uh because their kids were listening to rap. So this is something that crosses all genres. Gospel music... I would say that it's infiltrated white churches, mm-hmm. but not it's to different. the degree where like they are like consuming this stuff outside of the uh, outside of religion. Um, so yeah, it's that it's that sort of like mindset where people aren't really consuming and engaging with it outside of like one set like situation. So you're not gonna really see people talking about it that much. So it's not just like oh it's black stuff people don't want to talk about it. But if you aren't around it, if you aren't like like I said engaging with it kind of wouldn't expect people to talk about it that much so yeah also like with it being tied up in religion that's also like 
Yeah, people think you got it means some some type of something if you listen to gospel music, but gospel music would just be lit. It'd be lit like the, the <laughs> music underneath. Like but the weird thing is, like when you like you can't go through a music history course about European composers and not talk about Bach's influence by the church. You can't exactly. Do oh, they right. love they love to talk about a good mass. They love to talk about all that other stuff. But when we get to make me clap my hands, y'all want to talk about dance stop that song lit together. GP, are you with me? Oh yeah, we at the church, we go nowhere. GP, are you with me? That went on way too long. I mean, we could cover that. I would have thought about all them songs. Can you imagine? Let us know in the comments if you like to co- us to cover <laughs> <laughs> all of Kirk Franklin's repertory. What a disgrace! <laughs> Kirk Franklin's people be like, "Take this down. <laughs> we'll we'll see you in court." No, our, our episode getting flagged. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get into the intermission. So, right. <laughs> on our very first episode, what's our first episode? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh, Henny and Wings, yes. Okay. Yep. <laughs> On our first episode, we did an activity where we took a mainstream artists and we compared them to classical composers. What was it the other way around? Did I give you a classical composer and said who it was? Yeah, it was a classical composer and then... No, 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 no. It was the artist. We got the artist. I got the artist. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> because of the Richard's stuff and his background we're gonna do a similar activity but this time i gave him two um neo soul type genre people and two gospel composers Mm -hmm. and i want you to compare that to a classical composer and we're gonna see what you came up with all right all right let's get into it so the first one is ty trippet everybody know ty trippet what's the popular song ty trippet do for people who don't listen to gospel i'm blanking hmm Ty Trippett, yeah, like it. I'm definitely because you listen to more gospel than I do. I listen to a lot of gospel, but yeah, honestly, I listen to gospel like I listen to gospel honestly if I'm trying to cry or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dang. I listen to okay. I'm listening to gospel. Like, if I'm on a drive, I listen to gospel when like it's too much me goes. So I got to balance it out. I listen to gospel when I'm getting ready for church on Sunday. That's probably so. I listen to gospel quite a bit. What but, about uh? He got that song, the, the guitar. Oh. Chasing After You. That's not, is that that's, one? That's not Chai Trippet. It ain't? No. Doo-doo-doom. No, it's a slow song that I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, Chai Trippet got, okay, he has. Still Have Joy? Yeah. After all that I've been through, I still have. You don't know that one? Dun, dun, Victory. Dun, dun. Yeah, that's another Victory's one. Victory's a, a, a huge Chai Trippet song. Oh, another big one is He Turned It. He turned my da, da, da. Anyway, Ty Trippet, he's that dude. <laughs> Okay, yeah. for gospel music, he's he's one of the, he's one of the popular people I would say because there's definitely a lot of people doing a lot of good work that just like you don't think off the top of your head. Like for me, like Hezekiah Walker don't come to my mind immediately, but when I think about him, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's. Oh, I have to. But like Hezekiah Walker is like, if I were to put him on tears, I'd say he's like tier two, because I'm tier one is like people like who aren't in gospel to music to me mm-hmm. that know who that is. Like I feel yeah. like any Joe Schmo know Kirk Franklin, yeah, because Kirk Franklin's emerged in like popular stuff yeah. or like any joe schmo no not joe schmo maybe not maybe joe <laughs> <laughs> no tasha cobbs because tasha cobbs the collab with Nicki minaj okay so it's like i think about people like that who everybody know erica campbell mm-hmm. you know i think erica campbell but like you talking about someone like jacaylin carr 
People know who Jacqueline Carr is. I don't know who that is. You know Jacqueline Carr? Nope. She's a child. No, she's no longer a child. Um. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Ty Trivet. Ty Trivet. Who you who you got for Ty Trivet? If you were to compare him to a classical musician, a classical mm-hmm. musician, a classical composer. Classical composer. And tell me why uh, too. I'd probably compare him to Mozart. How come? <clears throat> oh, he about to do some musical stuff because I'll be all aesthetically why. But he about no, to I'm like, gonna try to stay well, away. From, I'm gonna try Mozart to stay away. Mozart had to stay in core progression in that one little <laughs> right, and tie tribute, and they move simultaneously. Now he got he got that chart up. Now he pull out a whiteboard out of nowhere that we didn't know he brought. <laughs> if you take a look at the counterpoint, <laughs> we don't care about that. Now, you know when they had the the um the overhead where they put the the clear the sheets? sheets over. I actually now, had to do that like two, a few years ago. I used to use the overhead. I Man, I used to love them sheets, and then he. So Richard got it now. He got an overhead projector in my kitchen. <laughs> if you take a look, at measure first, and then you look at measure, <laughs> measure first. Okay. Why don't come for me on my podcast, Richard? <laughs> I'm gonna start saying that. Measure first. Do not. That's not a thing. That will not be a thing. <laughs> System second. That's good. <sighs> You're annoying. Okay. Anyway, why most? <laughs> No, I was just going to say, like, their spirit, like, the general spirit of both of them. Like, Mozart yeah. was real, like, playful and everything like that. When I watched Ty Tribbett live, that's why I said I'm going to stay away from theory, stay away from the musicological side of it. When I see him, the way he performs, um, it reminds me a lot of that, like, general spirit of Mozart. Yeah. So, yeah, I can't watch a Ty Tribbett performance without seeing this dude, like, run around the stage. I'm telling you, when I was in undergrad, I was in um, the Internet Interdenominational Youth Choir, IYC. Um, we were so hi, why, why, why? Okay, and Ty Tribbett was our guest clinician my freshman year, mm-hmm. and he got us jumping up and down and being hype, and he jumping from the rafters and and Ty Tribbett when he like it's it it's like I'm not gonna say it's inspiring to watch him perform, but it's like he got so much energy, so mm-hmm. I could definitely see that. Yeah, who you got, Delaney? Mm-hmm. Okay, so for mine, I was like little. Like, this is hard for me. This whole exercise was a little bit hard for me just because the genres, like, they just, they're so separate in my yeah, mind. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> I was just going to say, honestly, I was going to say Hayden. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> why you write that face? Because okay. Hayden all. Because, okay. Go ahead. I mean, mine is very shallow. Like, I'm not going yeah. into, like, especially because I don't, I feel like out of all the people that we have on here, Ty Tripp is the one that I know the least to. I can see that. Mm-hmm. But I feel like like I was definitely gonna pick someone classical because just the way his music yeah. is like very like upbeat and like just yeah for sure you know it re- it just reminds me of that it reminds me of something that was just like very popular and like just like widely appealing yeah and I feel like that reminds me of Hayden because like he was just cranking out music and people was like hey this my and then you know like you what anyway this <laughs> <laughs> my stuff <laughs> <laughs> no have me out here. Um, I don't know. That's why I picked Harden. The reason why I made okay, that Harden, <laughs> The reason why I made that face is because, like, I listen to Ty Tribbett, mm-hmm. so it's like there's so much to me. Hayden is don't get. I'm not gonna get dragged, but to me, Hayden's very like one dimensional. Yeah, he is. So, but Ty Tribbett, like, he it's can seem like that. In theory, they got this thing called like monothematic sonatas about Hayden. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna get into it, but keep going. <laughs> What that mean? See how, we, see how we paused and looked at him when he brought up theory. We was like, here you go. And I was like, you gonna define what monothematic? I mean, I could, I could 
decipher what yeah. that mean, but you know, I learned my lesson at Eastman that what it looked like ain't what you it know, is. What it you think like a sonata? Oh, you're not gonna embarrass us on this podcast, <laughs> right? Huh? You see the hand went Hold up. Hold on, both That's of y'all that? students here. So if I ask you about sonata, first movement, what do you expect to hear? You're gonna hear the theme, and then what are you gonna hear after that? Oh, second theme. Yeah, so just mm-hmm. think monothematic. Oh, so he only do one theme. He write a whole sonata on one theme. But that's what people say. So. I mean, because how did everything be? <laughs> 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 what if it? Man, you super reduced that. <laughs> <laughs> Everything be like that. He didn't, they didn't have crescendos yet. Like, what a time to be alive! Just piano and forte. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, wow. let me let me audition for orchestra back then. I might could do that. Um, but Ty Trippett has a lot of faces to me. You know, he especially like he has this one thing called um this one song called the G dot A like the G A hem, and it's like beautiful. Yeah, I'll play see, it for I don't you. be knowing all that. That's why like, I pick Heidi. Oh, it's called Who Else But God. And it's like such a beautiful song. Like just, I heard it one time when I was driving and I was like, what is it? It was like amazing. For Ty Tribbett, I said Shostakovich. And mm-hmm. because I, I said this because Shostakovich was the type of person to me that was always pushing the envelope. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, even though he, he was so like, he was restricted because of like what he was doing. It's like, he still did what he was still like that dude. He's still writing whatever he wants. Like even when they were like, all right, we need you to write happy music, like write a waltz. And he's like, all right, bet I can write you a little waltz. And it's in minor, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And they're like, this is not what we were thinking of. So it's like Ty Tribbett to me, he's a person. He's always pushing. Um, he's always doing something new. Like he's a pastor or whatever. I have a friend that just did a show with him. And it's like, you know, he's always doing something different, something um maybe not innovative, but like he always doing stuff. And I'm like, that reminds me of Shostakovich. All right. Yolanda Adams is the next oh, one. Man. I might do a, a simple one. Just compare her to Bach. Yolanda Adams. Yeah. Why? <laughs> First thing I thought, <laughs> one reason could, I couldn't think of nobody. Second, okay. Second. Because, Podcast over. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is like the 50th stroke. <laughs> Here y'all go with the short No, notes. think about this though. <laughs> when you think about like Bach, it's like it's certain like artists or composers or whoever that you just think of and there's like no wrong that they can do, right? Like everybody okay. looks at them as like the standard. I see where you're going. So when I think of Bach it's just like we teach theory from a standpoint of like what Bach did basically. Like we do a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. a lot of the conventions that we do, like he well, wasn't like he wasn't like super, super, super innovative. I mean he was, but it was more so that he took a bunch of stuff that was already happening and just made it like, I mean, it's like no words almost when you listen to his music. Um, some people call it too simple or something like that. That's Bach? Weird. Meanwhile, my, my, my fingers stumbling along in his alamond. <laughs> <laughs> my fingers cripple off the right. That's the finger boy. <laughs> <laughs> you don't take nothing serious. We don't take my, meanwhile, my teachers are probably listening. Like, this is why it's sad too, because you you play all day. <laughs> no, but for play. real, it's like if you think of that, like when I listen to Yolanda Adams, it's one of those same things. Like, she doesn't do anything wrong. Like, I don't hear something that's bad. It's probably not something that's gonna be like extremely innovative as far as listening to. I don't know. Like, if you listen to Bach compared to. I don't know, Vayburn or something like that. It's not like a big drastic difference, but it's still like everybody listens to her. If you want to like have standard or standard quote on uh, gospel technique or anything like that, you go to what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Like it's just great. Like it's it's not even like 
like middle of the road is just very very good yeah i mean they were asking her to do aretha's tribute they were like y'all getting these little raggedy we just want you on the end like you got people not your drama being like that girl sing down exactly so, so, so ask her yeah that's what that's the main reason what about you all right, so I'm looking at your answers, and me and we are the same person. Really? Yolanda, yeah. Because we, we were talking about it together, man. Yeah, because we were talking about, like, you were talking about her, like, being virtuosic and stuff, and mm-hmm. I was like, I mean, yes, and we both picked Paganini. Like, like Ooh, okay. I thought of Paganini immediately when I thought of Yolanda Adams, because she's a virtuoso to me. Mm-hmm. She's, like, one of the GOATs, definitely top five gospel singers of our generation, Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe not my generation, but you know what I mean. And I don't know, Pagani, I mean, Yolanda Adams just sings down everything she does. And I just think about Pagani's attitude, like Paganini commissioned, um, Berlioz to write a viola concerto, right? Mm-hmm. So Berlioz like, boom, got you. So he wrote, um, what's it called? I forgot. I'm blanking on the name of the viola concerto he wrote. It's the, it's the one with viola doing all type of weird stuff. And Pagani's like, I'm not playing this. This is too easy. And it's like I don't okay. y'all, like, um, and it's like low key that viola concerto is like low key a joke, but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna look for it because it's gonna drive me crazy. Um, I'm gonna start doing that to avoid playing stuff. Oh, I'm not gonna play that. It's too easy. Okay. Can you imagine? GT gives me a Bartok viola concerto. Can imagine um, the dragging I would get if I said that to my teacher. <laughs> like, well, and you already says otherwise, <laughs> and you ought to be dragged. <laughs> But also it's Paganini, he frolicking around doing all this stuff. Because I be looking at um so there's a book of caprices. Uh why am I blanking on everything, baby girl? There's a book of caprices that I love to play like as a warm-up. And the I remember Mrs. Taylor was like, Okay, yeah, let's do these caprices. I'm like, I got these caprices already, like these caprices are lit. And um he's like, Just make sure you don't get the ones that were fingered by Paganini. And I was like, That's the one that I have. He's like, scratch them out. Because mm-hmm. Who playing all that? Who is doing that? Like he, he doing all this and he all up and down. Like that's what Elon Adams to me. He's she's just dislocating his his pinky so that he could right be in sixth position without shifting. Right, like he just probably did a lot. Harold in Italy is the name of the viola concerto. It's like low key a joke. Okay, let's move on. Um, Robert Glasper. So now we're switching gears a little bit. Tell me about Robert Glasper. Robert Glasper. I was trying to think of a composer that like melds uh, genres together because Robert Glasper's that type of dude. Like people in the hip hop world know who he is because he's collaborated with like Common and a bunch of artists. Um, <clears throat> and then on the other side of things, he is a jazz artist first and foremost, but he was influenced by gospel. He plays a lot of gospel uh, pieces, um, or at least he incorporates that sort of stuff. Then there's R and B in there too, or neo soul, but. I'll say Sammy Coleridge Taylor. Um, you know, I love me a good Coleridge Taylor. Yes. Uh, if people don't know who he is, uh, quick. Shame on you. I'm, yeah. kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It was a joke. Ha ha. LOL. A quick like summary of uh, who he is and what he did. Um, he's a British composer. Um, he was half black, uh, half white. Um, his dad was from Sierra Leone, I think. Um, and then he basically left when he was a kid his mom got pregnant and then after that he rolled out um <laughs> you know what, what we, gotta, happened. we gotta have richard on our music history episode right he rolled out <laughs> he brought this happened. joint that right <laughs> <laughs> basically <laughs> but yeah he uh 
that was like his early life, and then after that, he came up. A lot of people don't know. Like, I think he won a scholarship to the uh, Royal College of Music over Hulse. Um, but, <laughs> he deserves. I yeah. mean, Hulse for yeah, a little ditty about some rocks in the sky. Don't quote me 100% on that. <laughs> <laughs> Hulse for a little ditty about some rocks in the sky, and now y'all can't let him go. <laughs> for real. Oh, let him go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, so that was him. Uh, he came up. He was a composer. He was a violinist. Uh, he composed mostly in the or entirely in the Western classical tradition. Um, I won't say common practice, but around that time, he was born in eighteen seventy-five. So okay, basically up until history oh, buff. Oh, n- I wasn't nope. expecting all this. Go um, ahead, Richie. So you basically get from his uh, birth and him taking lessons and doing things like that because I mean he had a white mother. He was living in. Um, England at the time so he was still able to get some resources even though they were still poor right um, he had some uh, I think his grandfather uh, like helped him get lessons or something like that and then like he got into college he was uh, composing he was doing his thing I think the piece that they performed as Sphinx that was written before uh, the turn of the century so it's like um, that was his ballad uh, Opus 33 that they played so yeah we had that and then after that all of a sudden the Fist Jubilee singers are coming. You know how they tour yeah, and everything yeah, like yeah. that. So it's like you are basically like a black person. Uh, he was. If you see a picture of him, he has a fro. He's like uh, like caramel skin, kind of light caramel skin. Um, he knows he's different than everybody else. And then you have these people that come around and they look like you, and they're singing this music that is their music. They're mm-hmm. singing like spirituals and stuff like that. And he was like, oh, so he started incorporating that stuff into his works. And they started like a partnership. There was like the Sammy Coleridge Tale Society in DC. Um, There's a bunch of stuff. Like he was, uh, I think he was supposed to do something with the uh, New York Philharmonic. Um, there's a bunch of stuff happening. And then basically, like I said, a, a turn of the century, he he just did that. And he put that, uh, he started incorporating that more into his work. So if you listen to his works before 1900 or around that time until after, and then he died in 1912, I think. Um, you hear a bit like a seismic shift and the way he composed the themes he used, like he'll put like deep river into a mm-hmm. song or something like that. Yeah. So you'll hear that, um, in his music. Uh, so yeah, that wasn't the question though. The question was <laughs> comparing why, Robert Glasper. To yeah. Robert Glasper. The reason why I was going to say Robert Glasper, uh, and him is because of how, Robert Glass was, uh, his life, of course, like the way he was born and everything like that wasn't the same, but Robert Glass was the same in that he started primarily in one genre. Robert Glass was started in jazz. He was a jazz artist. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he started to hook up and, and uh, link up with other artists um, in R&B. And if you listen to his Black Radio 1 album, Black Radio 2, starting around that time, his music... He's still improvising. He's still playing basically like jazz related licks and things like that. But if you listen to that album, it's you it's it's like a uh, almost half and half as far as like what you would think the influence is, whether it's jazz or it's R and B. And if you listen to the albums before that, it's just purely jazz. So you could hear that influence of more contemporary or more. Uh, I don't want to say modern because jazz is always evolving, so it can be still modern. But you hear that influence of other genres within his music so the same way chorus taylor you hear classical then you hear spirituals and everything that you hear like uh 
a combination of those in his music. You hear the same thing with Robert Glasper, mm-hmm. where you hear, um, you hear. Oh, I'm sorry, Sam McCord. Yeah, you hear the same thing with with both artists mm-hmm. or composers. What you thinking, Delaney? You got me going at the Richard and he getting all in depth. Right, Richard all dissertation and stuff. Right, now I'm all, uh, right. <laughs> but listen, I mean, whatever both, I got, so. They both write good. <laughs> <laughs> listen. Nah, sound That's step one. That's step one. Baby okay. steps. <laughs> okay, so. I don't know when I was thinking like um like merging genres and like stuff like that. I started thinking of um Gershwin. I was gonna say Gershwin, mm-hmm. low key. Yeah, I was, Yeah, I was thinking of, of Gershwin because like I don't know. He had. I mean, of course, he brought like all those jazz influences and stuff. And also just thinking about his music, like it could be like in your face, it could be whatever. But it also like has like some smooth parts. Smooth mm-hmm. with a V. Shout out to Richard. Smooth with a V. <laughs> Oh, well, people for finally re- meet Richard. We shout out you out every time we say smooth. We like shout out to Richard. So now we know where we got it from. Oh, very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. That's why. That's why I picked Gershwin because I feel like, like there's only there's very small similarities that I hear like that I can hear in terms of like because I know he's kind of like neo soul and like he's kind of you know it's real smooth or whatever smooth. But um, I just think that in terms of like their influences, like. Of course, Robert Glasper has more influences and he's more like branched out than uh, Gershwin was. Mm. But I think that merging the genres, especially because like people were really not expecting that from him, you know, from from mm. Gershwin, I mean, mm. um, classical mm. music. And to be able to do it so seamlessly too right. was like uh, something else that made me think that they was like similar. So mine's a little bit more simple because I ain't getting no PhD in theory. But mm. um, so if I were to compare Robert Glasper to someone, I would say William Grant Still. That was my second okay. choice. That's yeah. my dude. And the reason why I picked Still is because um, his music is just like it's really good, good quality, and it's like it make you feel good. It just like I don't know everything. I played one, only played one piece by him, maybe two. Which one? I played Here's One arrangement for viola. Okay. And um. It's like he still is known for doing stuff with spirituals and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. that's like his like whatever his his basis. So he does a lot about stuff like that. So and when I was my first introduction to Robert Glasper, I don't really I ain't, I've heard of him, but whatever I ain't listened to him. Mm-hmm. So I was like when I was listening to some of his stuff, I was like okay, this made me feel good. And like what classical poser make me feel good in this kind of way? Like it's grooving a little bit, but it's still classical. William Grant still. So that was mm-hmm. my reasoning. Okay, I got one more for you. Uh-oh. Okay, Erica Baidu. <laughs> Erica, I I just thought of something random about her, but uh, gonna share for the people. Maybe Wagner. <gasps> I mean, what did she do to you? I mean, I mean well, actually, I was gonna say because it's like Wagner did a lot of stuff that that kind of changed the game as far as the way we. Like as far as the way classical composers, you really gonna come on our podcast defending Wagner? But no, I'm not gonna defend Wagner. He's crap. But I would say (laughs) uh, Wagner in his lifetime, even though he was doing all these great things musically, he still rubbed people the wrong way a lot of times. And I think Erica Badu, in some ways, she can like her defending R. Kelly or something like, like what, that. Like, no one asked you for that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, oh. And then she was like, I didn't defend him. I'm like, you should have just kept your mouth shut. And that whole thing where she was like, well, schoolgirls, they need to wear longer skirts because y'all are uh, I'm like, Girl, Y'all are so fresh. 
frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> like, you just... Okay. Yeah, so when she was... When, when she does stuff like that, and that's outside... That's, like, the extra musical stuff that she's doing outside of, like, uh, writing her music or performing. And then when she performs, you can see she has this persona on stage. I mean, I don't really find anything to be wrong with it, but it's certain things that I've read about other people who collaborated with her um, that had problems. It's not, like, significant uh, as far as the numbers and everything like that, but... Yeah, that's one person that pops into mind. I mean, a bunch of others. But right. just, like, in terms of, like, <clears throat> musicality, everything, and outside that, even though I didn't do that with other composers, that's somebody. Now, I'm not saying that Wagner's crap is the same as hers. So, like, Wagner and the anti-Semitic stuff and all that right. stuff, the way he looks, whatever. Like, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not trying to compare that to... I'm not trying to compare that to... Erica Badu. So annoying. Um, no, he looked like, you know, your sheep wrinkled on your bed. That's what he reminds me of. He looks like a wrinkled sheep or something like that. Might have a wrinkled comforter. I don't know. But, um, Shut up. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why I would, I would compare it to. Ooh, okay. A wrinkled so, comforter. So I would pick, for Erica Badu, I would pick Ravel. Um, <laughs> these I would pick Ravel because, like, so. I've only just started realizing that Ravel isn't total trash. Um, I mean, it's, it's Le Quartet cute or whatever. Exactly, yeah. And Daphne and Chloe surprised me. Oh my God, that piece is amazing. It surprised me because when I saw that on the program, I saw Ravel and I was already like, I'm throwing in the towel. Let me co- see if I can contrast the... And then he goes... I he wrote that. Go ahead. I was already like, let me see if I could get out of this cycle. I can't do this. I'm like, like, I was thinking that and then I was so pleasantly surprised. I was like, this is actually a really good piece. Like Daphne and Chloe's good. But um, I was just thinking that because like we were talking about this when i think of these neo soul artists i think of like this you know you float in this rose you know i already said this but even more so with erica badu um and, and i'm like when i think of those same adjectives in terms of classical music i start thinking of impressionist things which i've already made very clear that i do not mess with um so when i think of like how can i take someone who's impressionist but I also don't hate and then mm, that's where I got yeah. Ravel from because if I said Debussy that's a slap impressionist face. music you know it's like fire festival dang it's how it, how it, hold on because <laughs> oh my how did you get from that to fire festival at least impressionist music happened <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my god Okay. Because impressionist, I, mean, really no, I need to know. <laughs> because impressionist music gives me the impression of music, right? So why don't you just give music? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like in in layman's terms, that's what impressionist the whole impressionist movement is. It's giving the impression of something like the impression of a feeling or like invoking da da da. Or you could just do it. <laughs> that's a, they talking about is it and being about it. That's exactly what impressionist music is. Right? We're talking about it, be about it. Right. <laughs> Impressionist. Now you got the leaders of the pack. Uh, what's that? What's that dude's name? What's the dude's name? Oh, Ooh. Billy McFarlane. Billy McFarlane and uh and my dude, who was with him? I don't remember. What's the name of the rapper that was with him? Oh, oh, Ja Rule. Right, so you got Ja Rule and Billy McFarlane, aka Ravel and <laughs> WC, leading the pack. <laughs> I do not. Ugh. It's not really about. Because y'all said it's basically about them making impressions. In layman's terms. I mean, obviously, it's more complicated than that, right? But the point of the impressions movement was to, like, you look at something and, like, that's, like... That's supposed yeah, because what be. you described, it sounds like... Uh, it sounds more like 
like programmatic music. Like I'm gonna write something that that is like I'm gonna try to like Strauss. I can I can uh, write and make you think of the silver on a spoon or something like that. Like I can represent something like concrete with mm -hmm. this uh, music and. I think impressionistic, like you said, it's more about like the feeling evoked by those things. So yeah, yeah. So instead of representing, if I was, yeah, if I was going to do it in like layman's term, I go, like, if my mom was like, "So what's this impressionist stuff you talking about?" That's probably how I would say. It. You know, like them zero gravity chambers. Yup. That's exactly what impressionist music be like. like you just be floating it's into, not, into an enigma. I mean, it is like it is based more on like mood and emotion than it is like concrete things because you can't really def uh, you can define a mood like you can say what is anger or something like that, but you can't like. Like you can't grab hold like of they it. Was, they was all doing the same mood though. Like <laughs> what, what I've mood? Never, I've never heard of blase. Uh, right, <laughs> uh, aloofness, or <laughs> enigma. What? Those are the enigma's <laughs> not a mood. <laughs> it's not. I'm sorry. Not just saying words. She got a dictionary in front of her, and she opened the e section. <laughs> Don't come for me. She's just saying words right now. <laughs> On my TI junk. Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> elephant. <laughs> right. I mean, they really should have. They should have uh, adopted the name of variations. <laughs> so, yeah, Elgar. Cool. Look, Elgar wrote a whole a whole little piece on moods, and we know exactly no. where what. What was uh, uh, the variations about? Those are based on people. Those are those initials were. Those are okay, people. actual concrete things. Exactly. And therefore, we like it better. Those are people. <laughs> what? I mean, Elgar not completely off the hook because that's Symphony Number One. <gasps> Literally. Hot trash Ooh, by wow. Suda Caliente. <laughs> like, it is terrible. And did I tell you about the Elgar thing? For my, I think I told you they programmed Elgar first symphony, and like the in my undergrad, mm -hmm. and like the next week, like they were like, "No, nah, we're not doing it." Why? It's because it's it was too hard and also time constraint. Okay, I think we had cycles or the cycle. I, for whatever reason, on that cycle, we had three weeks to turn it around, which might sound like a, a lot of time, but no, we're like two rehearsals a week. That's not enough. yeah. So, so we ended up doing the Rosen Cavalier, which was lit. That was easier. Yeah, but it's, it's also shorter. Oh yeah, you know it's, it's, it's shorter, a couple, but it's still better. like. But it's so dense. yeah. Then, then okay, but is the Elgar Symphony? It's dense worse. It's denser. Oh wow, the Elgar Strauss. Yes, that's crazy. Okay, we got to listen to it at when it's when it's over. In it, the music, it's like all black on a page. That and, is crazy. And we read Wait, it Strauss or Elgar? Cause when I hear Strauss, it sounds like like a, a sponge and peanut butter. Like it's just like <laughs> it's so much in there. Like it's like what do you? But Strauss take is strategic. Out? It's like Strauss. There's stuff going on. I mean, everybody got stuff going on. But like Strauss, you could like that Elgar Symphony Number One. I remember sitting. You know, I'm sitting in the back. I'm just you know I might. I'm not trying to get caught out. I make sure my ball go in the same direction as everybody else. Like, because my teacher would be, my professor back in the day would call you out. Like, you're clueless. Like, he would say that. So, I'm like, you're not going to come for me today because I literally don't know. In the first chair, he, and he going all, and he trying to give down beats. I'm like, you have no idea where we are. The only thing that you know for certain is that we are at Illinois State <laughs> University in Norman. <laughs> that is the only thing you know for certain. There ain't no downbeats in that symphony. I'm telling you, once the thing start, it don't stop. That's it. <laughs> like, like you, have, you have to listen to it. This symphony is terrible. Elgar wrote two good things. Enigma Variations and that cello concerto. What about Pomp and Circumstance? Yeah. And that's like, that's not like a piece. It's like a service. What? You know, it's like, that's only yeah, one movement only one out of like five. It's like five movements of that. That's one. It's, I mean, they play this. Do they play the second one? 
think so. No, no they just played the uh, they just played the uh, the one that at graduation. But it's five different movements. To I me, think to that that piece to me doesn't serve a purpose except for graduation. Like I wouldn't be like, let me. But that's because yeah, we've that applied movie. that. To yeah, it's applied. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. All I'm saying is because when you said anger, that made me think of I've never heard any other emotion um, besides just float. Yeah. <laughs> what about happiness? How can you be happy if you don't know which way is up? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds that sounds sad. So it sounds like suspended. That's yeah. What you're saying? All the time. That's you want to be suspended all the time? I don't feel that I feel way like, when I hear you it know though. You, you don't. Walk, you know, no. like in cartoons, when you you just walk in minding your own business and you step in the rope and then it just <laughs> and flips you upside down. That's exactly. What <laughs> <laughs> so hold on, hold on. Ravel make booby traps to his music. Some Home Alone music. More, more so Debussy. More so Debussy. Because <laughs> I'm minding my own business in the concert hall. Oh, okay. That first piece was great. Now he gives it. Well, I can't even say he gives a downbeat because okay. Debussy doesn't know what that means. <laughs> and he'll do some junk like. There'll be a sixteenth note rest for what? He gives the, the. You can't even find it, right? Because it's not a beat, nor is it down. So <laughs> <laughs> he gives a gesture, and then just then the whole sound emerges. <laughs> After the gesture, it doesn't make any sense. It's there's a piece some pieces of- that works for like. There's a transcription. I can't uh, remember who did it. Who wrote? I think somebody named Matthews or something. That probably is 100 percent wrong. But Kennedy Center did it. And I was surprised because they actually did it well, the NSO. <clears throat> but they did a transcription of, uh, I think it's Maiden with the Flaxen Hair or something like that. It's a WC piece yeah. uh, for piano. So they transcribed for orchestra. And the beginning is supposed to, like, it's supposed to be a crescendo out of nothing. Oh, here we go. And when I say, <laughs> no, it's not even theory. If you just listen to it, it's like, like the NSO played. And like I said, for them to do that, I was just surprised. Like, oh, crap. Like, they were playing well that night. But it came out of nowhere. And it's like, sometimes that's warranted. Like, of course, if it's like, they, I mean, WC didn't compose a march or Ravel didn't compose a march. So. How can you march to nothing? <laughs> <laughs> of course, he didn't compose no march. You can mark time, right? Stand in place. All right, Richard, the oh. point. Sorry, I should never have said anything. <laughs> they don't do march. They do moonwalks. <laughs> On the actual moon, because that's the only where place it makes sense. Okay, <laughs> right. I don't know. Debbie must have been an astronaut. Sometimes that like he was talking one of them fresh people on the moon. Who? Debbie C. <laughs> he got back. He, he was like, host. "That was real." <laughs> Why are y'all so obsessed with with space? <laughs> <laughs> you okay. Yeah, you the last one. <clears throat> We're so far from Erica Baidu, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> okay, so for me, did you say yours? Yeah. Oh, that's that's a whole yeah. Oh, okay. Reveal, reveal. See how lost I am. That's how you feel leaving the concert hall. <laughs> like, which way are you going? <laughs> which way is home? <laughs> you look up from that good nap. You got your braid done made a, a print in your face. Your bonnet off. <laughs> You don't know what day it is. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Listen, uh, and you scared because you late for something. Because when I wake up from a nap, I think my heart's racing. I'm like, oh, am I late? Cause you slept too good. <laughs> it's a it's a nightmare. Okay, and if I do, I think Beethoven. And I I said this because Beethoven he's not playful in the same sense as Mozart. Mm-hmm. However, he's very playful. Like take a look at his symphony number one. We don't know what the key is until like rehearsal A. 
You know what I'm saying? Mm. Everything is like secondary dominance. See what I did there? Uh-oh. I Everything is secondary dominance until we finally get to the key of C major. And then when we finally get there, now we're taking off. So um, Erica Badu has like that playful nature to me, like that it's smooth or whatever, but it's like call Tyrone type of thing. Like she always playing around with something. She's never serious. I, I used to follow her on Instagram, so I know a little bit of her, I know as much about her personality as she would have let me. Cause she mm-hmm. controls what she posts. However, she's got too annoying, so I, uh-huh. I she's annoying. Um, it's okay, <laughs> but yes, for me, that's what I would do. So let us know in the comments who you think. Do you agree with us? Do you disagree? Do you have any different ideas? Let us know who do you think these people. How do they relate to uh classical music, classical musicians? Let us know, and we are moving on. Okay, so now we're back, and it's time to just learn a little bit more about Richard. We already heard about his research interests. Uh, he introduced himself a little bit as Richard. That was almost all that it was. <laughs> Thank God for elaboration. <laughs> so, Richard, tell us, how did you get into music? What's your musical journey? Give us a little. Okay. Uh, my brother, uh, when he was in elementary school, he played saxophone. And I will say this, most of my life, like the things I can do now with like art or music or anything like that was directly influenced by my big brother. Like there's no other influence. Well, we don't need all that. <laughs> the commercial audience. Does he uh, know that? You should tell. I'm gonna be playing this for him. Audience. I think I told him that before. When that I graduated, so I think I told him call. that. Call him. Huh? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Can you imagine? <laughs> we actually got him here. <laughs> and he just popped out. That's a long trip. Uh, <laughs> that's what you will be concerned with—the long trip. Now that he's in my bedroom, right. that's, oh, yeah, that's true. We've been that would be second. Quite a while. That would be, be second. <laughs> we've been sitting in here for so long. Too. <laughs> Your brother just walk out my bedroom, and the first thing you're like, "Oh, that's a long trip." Yeah. Did you drive? <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I'm so I regret interrupting. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for real, like a lot of stuff I've done, like I said, up. Till now, the things I can like, the things that define me were basically influenced by him. So um, he played saxophone, and actually he he used to draw, and he would draw stuff for the school. Like he would draw banners, all this stuff, and they were like really good. So when I was coming up, I used to start doing that stuff. And I remember like in second grade, I entered an art contest just because I knew he was doing it. And then um, we were like four years apart though, so um, that's it too. Um, and then music, he was playing saxophone and. He's playing for like a couple years. And this is something I actually felt guilty about when I got older is that my parents couldn't afford like more than one instrument. And they didn't really know anything about the stuff. So they were like, okay, Richard is going to, uh, Richard wants to play music, but we can't get him another instrument. And we didn't have like piano lessons in school or something like that, nor mm-hmm. a keyboard at home. So when we were doing it, uh, he was playing and they were like, okay, Richard, like they said, y'all going to share the saxophone. Now that's nasty. One. <laughs> My parents didn't know any better. So, Your of course, my brother. Black. <laughs> like, that is some black. Yeah, stuff. so my brother was just like, like no, like, I'm not about to sit there and share my sack. And he's older, too, so I'm right. younger. I'm not really understanding all this stuff. And then finally, it was just like, okay, like, if he's going to do that, I'm just going to do my own thing. So, he started uh, getting into other interests or whatever, and I started using the saxophone exclusively. And after a year, I kept playing, and then it got stolen. And then my teacher, Dang. yeah, got stolen on stage. I, to this day, I know the sax, uh, the the janitor took it, but whatever. So we rolling up. What we doing? Man, y'all, you tell me when. So, uh, <laughs> gang, gang. Yeah. Period. So we. So yeah, somebody stole it, and 
my band teacher at the time, I only been playing for like eight months at the time. He went out to his trunk and he showed me like a long case and a small case. To this, like today, I know it was a trombone and a trumpet, but me, I'm like, I want to play music, but I don't want to be walking around with a big instrument. So I was just like, I pointed to the small one. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> you brave for that one. <laughs> for real. Uh, but yeah, I saw the long case and I saw the small one. And I was just like, the small one was shaped normally. The trombone case was shaped weird. I was just like, now nah, I'm going to get this small, nice, regular case. So I started playing trumpet and I just kept doing that ever since then. So that was like sixth grade. Um and then I started taking lessons with a teacher, uh, like around seventh grade. He started showing me all this stuff. He started showing me like uh, patterns and stuff within the music. He's teaching me scales. And you know the traditional way you learn a scale. Then the next week you learn another one and right, you right. keep doing that. But uh, my teacher, he gave me a scale. And then he showed me like the half steps, whole steps. He showed me like the like the intervallic makeup between it. Like he had me go up to like the octave and over like the 12 and then come back down. He had me like working the scale. And then... He never taught me a skill after C major. He was just like, start on a different note and you need to figure it out from there. Mm-hmm. And then he wanted me to figure out the patterns and stuff like that. He taught me a little bit about sharps and flats and everything, but he wanted to see how much I could get through that. And everything I learned from then on, as far as like the basics, the uh, uh, like arpeggioing triads and all that stuff, I just learned from looking at the patterns and everything. And then the last part of it was my brother was taking piano lessons and he didn't want to do it formally anymore he still played in church he's actually a doctor now he's a podiatrist but he can still read music and everything like that but he just didn't want to do anymore so he had all these beginner piano books sitting around so i just took the um book and i literally opened it to page one and i saw middle c and i played middle c on the piano and then after that i just went through the entire book so you learn all the fingerings you learn like the relationship between all skills because at first it's just you see one line everything is melodic Mm -hmm. and then now you can see like harmony i can play a chord now i can do all this stuff and it was the same thing all this theory all this connection but like you can see it within the music so that was like how i really got all of this stuff happened within the span of like three years Mm -hmm. and then it was just like it was so much i was like i need to keep doing this Mm -hmm. so yeah okay and the trauma teacher was responsible for your theory background that's yeah. Well, yeah, I found out, like, I didn't realize, I mean, I realized this while it was going on, but he was, like, the, uh, he was the principal cornetist with the Marine Band for, like, I oh, think 30 shoot. years Dang. or something, and he's just, like, living, I think he's living in, like, Suitland or something like that, I don't know if he's still alive, but, um, yeah, my middle school band director, uh, because, like, we were playing, we had, like, a little band there or whatever when I was in middle school, but, like, you know, at the end of the year, you're not really doing that much. And we would just sit and play duets. Weirdly, I found out he went to Howard, too, when I got to Howard. And he studied with the same trumpet teacher, Fred Irby. It's it too much. It's, like, so many, like, connections between, like, my teachers and stuff growing up. But, yeah. All right. So, uh, when you went to Howard for your undergrad, you yes. majored in ed and not performance. Why? Um, it just... I thought it made more sense. Um, one, I knew I was never going to be a performer. I think in in like high school, early high school, um, I started to realize that I like talking about this stuff. I like talking about theory. I like talking about music. I like I like teaching it. Like I like uh, my theory teachers. Um, they often let me tutor people. And I remember my senior year when I was taking theory, uh, taking a music class at uh, Suitland High School. Um, 
sometimes she would let me like give like little mini lessons on stuff. So it's like, I know I want to teach this yeah. for the rest of my life. I know like I want to be a teacher. My the biggest influences in my life were teachers. Like my mom was a teacher back when she was in Haiti. So it's like, I I mean teachers don't get enough do. Like they you think about all the stuff that they have to go through and all this the ways they shape your life up till now. It's not like ego for me. Like oh, I'm gonna change this kid's life, but right. I know like a lot of stuff that I'm doing now it wouldn't be <clears throat> possible without like good teachers in my life. Right. So yeah, I always knew I was gonna be a teacher. So. Um, yeah, I think a lot of times music ed and performance, you basically almost getting the same thing. Like right. you probably got to give a recital something like that. I don't know why more people don't just go after that. I don't want to just say teaching should just be your backup or something, but I don't know. I think it opens up a lot of, uh, a lot of doors for you and also like opens your mind up to a lot of things in music that you otherwise wouldn't really pay attention to. And I'm not just saying theory, history and everything like that. I think it opens up your love for music a lot more Mm -hmm. when you're able to engage with people, um, in a classroom setting or anything like, even if it's just like college courses or something like that, I think it's a very valuable tool, uh, tool to have. Um, I mean, you could take lessons and become a performer. I think like, yeah, I don't want to say performance is a waste of money, but you don't want to be one of those people working in a coffee shop mm-hmm. or something like that because you didn't get into a major orchestra. Or if you do performance now, just understand that there are other like career paths for you right. um, out there. So I'm not knocking performance. I think it's, it's a valuable degree in some ways. I just think people need to have like that, uh, like another side to music, not just performing it, whether it's theory, whether it's history, whether it's, um, pedagogy anything if whether it's administration arts administration anything like that is is good to have those things so i didn't want to lock myself into a box to say i got a degree only to play music i think at conservatories maybe like that's the one place you want to do it but outside of that no and i also think teaching loki has a negative connotation especially depending on where you are like a lot of a lot of colleges like performance and ed majors aren't treated the same you know it's like they're ed majors are like well you don't have to play as well or whatever. You don't have the same playing requirements. I know certainly my undergrad, the same, the playing requirements weren't the same, like performance majors. They had to give a junior recital mm-hmm. and a senior recital and, um, education majors only had to give a senior recital. It only had to be 30 minutes. Like it's just like, it just goes yeah. on, on stuff like that. And like, certainly somewhere like Eastman is not the case. Like everybody playing the same, everyone's going to treat the same, but maybe, yeah. I don't, but I'm also a grad student. So I have no idea how it's working in undergrad if they're treated the same or not but there's a negative connotation in teaching it's like you don't play that well so you're going to teach which makes no sense because yeah. if you don't play well I why will would say you teach? this at other schools the the people that get into ed programs versus performance obviously they're not going to be like as good as the performance major because that's the main thing you came in for you came in saying I'm going to be a performance major so yeah. you need to be killing on your instrument but I think like you said uh, I think you're 100% right there is like this misconception that ed majors cannot play at all or like like i know at university of maryland they have they have a a band just for music ed majors like they have a yeah they have a music ed uh major band um that doesn't mean that that band is like garbage of course they're not like the top like band at the school because they're not like all performance majors but if the thing is if you're going to be teaching somebody how to play and the institution they're accredited they're trusting uh, you to go out there with that name on your degree to teach people and you're garbage like nobody would do that right so if you couldn't play like <clears throat> I mean that's just logic I don't that doesn't make sense to me when people think that so I mean I could play I would like to think so but 
So are we giving a recital, Richard? No. Hide and trumpet your shirt out? No. <laughs> All right. So you went to Howard University. Shout out to the HU. Which HU? The real HU. <laughs> Just making sure. <laughs> um, tell us about your time at Howard. Like, that's honestly like low-key, a low-key regret of mine. Like, I wish I went to HBCU. I wish HBCUs were pushed at my institution because, mm-hmm. you know, where, my, where I grew up, it's like everybody going to Ivy League, everyone going to... Northwestern, you know, it's up the street. Like, mm-hmm. everybody is trying to do that. So, we didn't really have people being like, but you should apply to Clark Atlanta or you should mm-hmm. apply to Howard. Like, we didn't, there was not that push, you know. And of, of the black people that went to, that I went to school with, you know, pretty diverse. Um, one girl went to Howard, one girl went to TSU, mm-hmm. and one girl went to uh, another HBCU. I think it's North Carolina A&T. That's probably, that was okay. like in, in Spelman. Oh, in Spelman, so there was only out of all the black, all the all the black people, whatever, because you know they give you it's like how do you know every black person out of a seven hundred people class? But well, because mm-hmm. my newspaper printed everyone's name of what school they're going yeah. to, so out of all those people, those those, those four girls went mm-hmm. to those schools. Everybody else is going to state schools, PWIs, whatever. So, tell us about your time at Howard. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be real disappointed because I didn't do a bunch of the stuff that was at Howard. But I would say, like, first of all, getting into Howard, I was born and raised basically in the D.C. area. So it was like that was like a metro, a few metro stops away from where I was. So that wasn't a big deal for me to know that I was lucky enough to have like what they consider the Mecca, the top black institution down the street from me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, when I got into Howard, um I mean, it's a lot of stuff that they have that people want to be involved in, everything like that. Like frat life, that's a big thing. Um, at how whether or not you're in it, that is, I'm looking at one uh, right not now. Not at one. Uh, uh, <laughs> Sigma yeah. Gamma Rho. Just yeah, crazy. I remember all this stuff. Like they they have all this. A Sigma Gamma Rho has the trees next to, I think, the Deltas or something like that. Or they put you off in the corner. I can't remember. Okay, but, so you have to come um, on and do it. No, for real. I, I can't remember. <laughs> I remember like they had the poodles on and everything like that, but... Yeah, they got their trees. Everybody has their trees out on the yard. So yeah, but Howard is like a special place because there's a lot of alpha chapters. Yeah, I'm surprised. I mean, I'm not surprised that you aren't Greek because I'm uh, not gonna lie. Like, nope. I that doesn't surprise me at all. Nope. However, there's a lot of alpha chapters at Howard. Yeah, like the majority. I think five of them. A lot of people, people. A lot of people wouldn't admit this, but a lot of people went out for them, um, or at least expressed interest. Like when we were freshmen and stuff like that i have like friends who joined um i have a couple like maybe three friends who uh became q's um a couple friends became deltas uh one i know is aka um and, and then like the music fraternities like kk Psi, uh what is that not as you wrote sigma alpha iota uh, or iota um so yeah they have all this stuff right there they even have <laughs> uh-uh <laughs> There's probably a bunch of people at SAI that listen to this show. Do not go for it. No, they were cool. It's like uh, they had, and they also have, um, they have because all the trees on the yard and like the main yard. People talk about the yard at Howard's, like that main area. So um, everybody comes, has to congregate or like uh, pass through there at some point right. to get to lunch or something like that or the calf. Um, or Punch Out, there's like two places where you can eat in the Blackburn Center. Um, so yeah, the, we we had those things in all the music fraternities, the four KK Psi, uh, Tau Beta Sigma, uh, SAI, and the other one, um, Five Mu Alpha. Yeah. Uh, they all have trees in front of the Department of Music, so it's like they oh, cool. are basically 
if you're standing at a tree for the cues or something like that or the deltas or whoever you can look across the yard and see the music fraternities there too right. so um that's significant in and of itself that people could still recognize those fraternities because at other schools i don't think it's looked at the same way like if you not. have this big greek fraternities <clears throat> It's like, oh, you did that little music thing. I think some, it's not completely equal, but at, at least people can see it on the same space. Um, so that was one thing about Howard that, like, I remember is just like the that that sort of atmosphere. The social life is, it's is great as far as like it's it can be a lot of fun. But what I noticed was like, it can take up a lot of your time. Like mm-hmm. I know freshman week they used to. I, I don't know if they still do that. Freshman week they used to have shuttles from the freshman dorms taking them to like parties and stuff like that like actual shuttles like i'm talking the the what they call those buses with the bathrooms i can't remember a coach bus a coach bus yeah so they (laughs) used to have those or like little uh like the little shuttles taking the people uh to parties or whatever like uh clubs or anything like that so yeah like that the 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 night scene and everything like that like the the non-academic side of howard is is great like but I think it, it takes away a, I, I think it takes away a lot from people's academics if they don't control it right. Just like anything, but yeah. at Howard especially, I saw it because yeah, you see like like Howard Homecoming is like a big oh, deal. Like yeah, Howard Homecoming is a big deal. So um, I remember like people. One, I remember professors. I had one professor every year I was at Howard. All four years I was uh, there from 2006 to 2010, I remember a professor, uh, he would always schedule midterms on the day of Yard Fest. Yard Fest is like the biggest day of the week. That other is than, so trifling. Yeah, other than, uh, other than the game and like the step show on uh, Saturday night, I think. Um, yeah, that's like the biggest thing. Like people come, I remember Drake came in like 2009. Um, like big name people would just be there. Like they'd be rolling down the street. There used to be the shop, uh, up against the wall. I think it's like a clothing shop, like black clothing shop. They would always come in there and they would just like, just sit there. I don't think they ever gave a live show there, but they would have yard fest and everything like that. And people would, yeah, people would sometimes, um, I know a lot of people skip class because of yard fest or just homecoming period. Like if you ever, if it was like a, a, a graph or something with like work, uh, work ethic or something like that it yeah. always dips during yard or during uh homecoming week and then it comes back up gradually until the end of semester so yeah that was uh something there that i remember and i tried to participate i think i went to yard fest once um it was uh, it's a weird thing for like a year i did not walk across the yard people thought i was pledging i wasn't i just <laughs> i just didn't like i just didn't walk across the yard um nothing was happening it wasn't somebody wasn't chasing me or something like that it was just i didn't do that so and I like my senior year. I started to try to get um, into more stuff. Um, weird thing is, people talk about parties and stuff that happened at Howard, and then they'll be like, "Oh yeah, you remember this thing? Yeah, you were there." And I'm like, "I did not go to anything, so I'm just <laughs> I'm confused why you thought you saw me at this party sophomore year." But yeah, I, I was joking around like if I went to God knew what he was, what he was doing. Because first of all, I'm way too lit. If I went to HBCU, I would not be where I am. 
because I would just be, I'm like, so what we doing? What what black things we doing today? Exactly. <laughs> like, like, I'm already like that here. I ain't got with like four black friends. <laughs> right. And it's already a mess, you know? So it's like, I would definitely have a lot of fun. I would like that experience. But I mean, I know you said like, oh, that's more than like regret or like you wish you went to an HBCU. I wish I could have gone to an HBCU, but like, because I looked into it and my mom would have loved for me to go because mm. all my black friends went to HBCUs. Um, but they just didn't like, especially, I know like you went for Ed, but like performance wise, like there was no, there's nothing for me at an HBCU. Yeah. I mean, but Howard has a pretty good music program and so does... Mm. When I looked into, yeah, when I looked into it, when I was applying to schools, they was like shutting down some things in the in the strings department specifically. Teachers were like, like they were shutting down like a whole portion of the department. And I was like, I can't. Yeah. Especially, I got a Eastman. You know, it was just kind of like. Yeah, I would. It wasn't really. It's not really the quality of the institution that that like just went away. So it's not. I don't want to say like how a music department is is like is garbage or something. It's yeah. not. Like I came right. from there. I know people who've gone there. Like. I know great musicians who are still there or they graduated from there. So it's not about that. It's like, it's first of all, it's within a department. So it's a department of music or it's a department of music within a division of fine arts. Mm-hmm. So you don't have the same resource, of course, like a conservatory like Eastman, mm-hmm. but even other schools where they put more research, more resources into the music department. Like a um, school of music. Like exactly. Illinois and even, State University had a school of music. Yeah. And even if you take away from the school of music, like a lot of schools got departments of music. Like I don't, we never had somebody that was like, uh, and that's a, this is uh, true for a lot of HBCUs. And this is kind of why I wanted to get into theory um, professionally um, is that you never had a actual theory professor, like someone who had a, a PhD. I was lucky enough to have, composition teachers uh teaching theory that were very very good at theory they basically were theorists that you can call them that so i had i wouldn't be here today if they didn't uh like instilling me like how to write about music how to talk about music in an intelligent way I, I i wouldn't be here without that so they had at the time i haven't been there for a little bit as far as the uh the the faculty but they had great professors there in every field um, whether it was um, theory, whether it was um, performance, anything like that, they had those things there. Budget, I would say, like, that's the one thing mm-hmm. that was hurting them as far as being able... Like, if you can't give out scholarships, mm-hmm. somebody else getting, like, a full ride to an institution that's, like, 10 times worse or something like that, um, they're not going to be... They're not going to feel inclined to say, oh, let me go to this great place called Howard. It's like... You know, the community college down the street is about to give me a bachelor's for free. Like, I'm just going to go there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's the one thing hurting me. I mean, I definitely said, like, earlier that I wasn't really looking into HBCUs because it just wasn't the culture of my school. Mm-hmm. However, like, I remember, like, right around the due date, I was like, all right, let me see what things are talking about. Just just because a lot of people were talking about, like, you know, kind of spell me. I'm like, okay, go mm-hmm. off. So I was like, all right, let me look at Xavier. University Ooh. in Louisiana mm-hmm. and I'm looking and I'm very particular because of like my background even mm-hmm. at that age where I must study viola with a violist mm-hmm. because taking viola with a violinist is not the same thing and a lot of these schools of music I looked at Howard I looked at Xavier I mean I never ended up applying like I said but mm-hmm. um like they have um part-time violin slash viola I'm like I'm not gonna you know what I'm saying nah. I, why wouldn't I just go to a school of music where I can study with a violist who mm-hmm. is a violist who's full time tenured faculty. Like that makes way more sense to of me. Of course. Than, 
So, yeah, that's it. Gateway is conservatory. Can you imagine? We would get nothing done. Gateway is conservatory? <laughs> First of all, because everybody up till 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> now, we, we we listen to the recording of our string quartet and we twerking. <laughs> <laughs> that would be one of the greatest things ever. I, I would say I was very fortunate to go to a place like Howard. Like like I said, my first my freshman year at Howard, I didn't stay on campus. Like, I was taking a metro to school back mm-hmm. and forth. Um, so, I wasn't able to engage in that life as much. And I can't really say I regretted that. One, I saved a bunch of money by not right. doing that. Um, but after that, after like a year of like getting acclimated to campus and stuff like that, like I said, my like the last like my last two years, I started to like branch out and talk to a little bit more people and everything like that, um, and just become more engaged with the the student life um, and campus life um, at Howard. I stayed on campus until I graduated. After that, from sophomore year till senior year, I stayed on campus, but. Um, yeah, it's a lot to offer there. It's just like any other institution, you just got to practice self-control when it comes to that stuff. I think I was more critical of people because I know people are going to look at us as black individuals a lot more closely. So you come out of a school like this and you go try to get a job or something like that, whether it's in the area or anything like that, uh, it's a lot more scrutiny on you because they're already expecting you to be deficient. They're expecting you to fail. They're expecting you to be lazy in your studies and not really know that much so they can write you off and say, well, this person doesn't know that much. I don't even have to say that they're black. They just don't know that much. So I don't mm-hmm. have to hire them. So when I would see like peers doing some of that stuff, um, like, hey, I'm going to skip class for the week so I can do a bunch of stuff for homecoming. It's like, yo, like you can have fun, but uh, I would rather like people actually just like, I don't know, be more engaged with the academics. I mean, it is college after all. Like, that's the first thing you're there right. for. Um, but, yeah, I, just, I was I was more critical because it's just like I know people are wanting to see us fail, and I don't want to see that happen to anybody like us. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All huh? right, so um, after you were done at Howard, you were teaching public school in D.C., right? Uh-oh. <laughs> Not uh-oh. Man. <laughs> uh, so what are, um, what are some highs and lows from your time teaching public school? All right, I'll start with the lows because it went from lows to high. So That's I got cool. my better first, that way. Yeah. So basically, I got my first job uh, at middle school in DC, and I remember like I interviewed and everything like that, and they wanted me to teach like general music and choir. So I said, you know, I can teach choir. Like I'm not that great of a singer, but you know, I can hear pitch well. Like I mean, I could teach oral skills or something like that. So I get this job. And <laughs> I don't. I'm mad you rolled your eyes <laughs> and sat back from the Come mic. On, Delaney, you are trifling. Skills. Um, but yeah, I started. Uh, so I started teaching there, and they we should get like the principal gave me some vague, you know, uh, things about what the position entailed and everything like that. But I basically knew like that I was gonna be doing that. So like I remember I took a picture like the first day they had everybody's cards around and said like Richard Desnoy, music teacher, and I was like, oh my first job and everything, and then. I started asking about class size and everything like that because you know you teach in the hood like it's gonna be like kind of crazy when it comes to that so mm-hmm. so I just wanted to get a roundabout figure you know I grew up in schools like that so I understand like the dynamic of, like the student body I understand all that stuff so I'm not walking in there blind um, right a lot of time they say those bad kids and everything I was one of those kids that they would consider like bad or something like that like I wasn't like fighting a lot and all, all this other stuff but i was one of those like so-called misbehaved kids let me not say so-called sometimes it was misbehaved so um right. but anyway i didn't make this short uh i got the job the first day of school like 15 minutes before the kids start coming in the room the principal gives me the the sheet uh the class roster for the day like all my classes and the first period had 64 kids so in that's it. gonna be a hard <gasps> no for me so 
Yeah, it said 64 oh. kids on the roll, and I saw it, and I was just like... Typo, y'all, y'all accidentally tripled, dude. <laughs> I would, because we were also on the A-Day, B-Day schedule, so somebody could have been like, oh, she just like maybe mixed it up and put all the kids in one. That was I'd still, have been like, is this all of sixth grade? Or... <laughs> you know, nah. I had an attitude problem when I taught public school, so I'd have been like, uh-huh, Jennifer, no, yeah. assistant principal, uh-huh, this ain't it. <laughs> nah, so she gave me this, uh, the sheet, and I was looking at it, and I was like, wait, what? And at that point, like I said, this is 15 minutes before right. kids start so walking in. Do? So oh, and oh, I didn't, army of kids coming in. Did you hear I some rumbling you, from the distance? Oh, I didn't even say this. Start shaking. Like, that scene, that scene with Simba in the in a, in a thing. <laughs> On the wildebeest. <laughs> <laughs> right now, you Mufasa hanging over the edge. <laughs> I think that's how it was. <laughs> yeah. Simply, he, oh my he look and he see all these freaking antelope coming to him. <laughs> and what's that little horn in the score right. that go off? I right. was like, Man. Exactly. That's the, that was first period bell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, okay, so, yeah. Um, I didn't say this part, but I didn't have a classroom. So, right. I was teaching in an auditorium. So that made it way worse. So way when they worse. so Switch they start come they start coming in and I think there's like there's like seven doors to to the auditorium. There's three in the back and there's uh four behind me like on the stage area. So those go out to side hallways. And the two in the middle of the stage, they uh the gym is directly behind those doors. <laughs> Not even a hallway. There's like if you open the door, you're on the court. So like, during the year, kids would, like, uh, come in and out from other classes and stuff like that. I would try to put a divider. Sometimes they would, like, open the door, throw a ball out or something like that, just throw something. And it's just, like, no one ever, like, directly got in my face. Like, nobody tried me like that. But it was still one of those things you just had to deal with. Like, it was just, it was nuts. It was chaotic. And you yeah. trying to, so it was, like, it was no way for me to teach 64 kids. Like, and these kids, uh, it was, I don't want to say there wasn't that much structure as far as the day and everything like that. Uh, not within my class, but like I tried to do that. But the kids, they basically saw it almost as like a joke. I'm just going to come in here. We're going to learn. This is a music teacher. like whatever. And that's how a lot of public schools are. Like the kids know, okay, I have to be standardized. I'm going to have a standardized test on music history. Um, I mean, math, history, writing, whatever. And they see like music, art, and all that other stuff as a joke. So you put them in a class with math and it's like they know all their core classes, so-called core classes, going to have like 20, 25 kids in it. And then they go to a music class and everybody's running around like 60, 70 kids in there. Right. They know they're not going to take it seriously. So it took me a while to like I spent basically most of that first year or the first part of the year on behavior stuff. And then um, half the period behavior stuff, half trying to teach. I just said, I'm not even going to teach choir anymore. I'm just going to teach theory. Like I'm going to teach uh, music history. I started teaching about like silent films, having them do like little project stuff. As much as I could do, it almost became like, how long can I keep these kids listen like quiet? You know, that game people play with their kids. Like what's the quiet game when they're on a road trip or something like that? Like yeah. I was just trying to think of ways to, that. to do that. And I don't know. After a while, I was just like, whatever like i'm just gonna keep this like this and the second half of the year i started to go to the music room which was a mess when i tell you this thing was like a landfill like it was 
it, you couldn't walk in the room like there were instrument pieces like the year before they told me that the music teacher had like quit before Labor Day and kids like trashed the room while they were looking for a teacher um they what? destroyed the room like you saw lead pipes the trumpets scattered everywhere like when I said you could not walk like you couldn't walk around the room it was so like messed up so I started cleaning it up myself like every weekend I would come in and clean it up uh, I started writing letters to other schools in the district, other places, like even in Maryland. Uh, I got them to, uh, I wrote some proposal, something like that, to get the Save the Music uh, VH1 uh, Foundation grant, a bunch of stuff. And long story short, from that year, doing that in the summer, I was able to get a bunch of volunteers. The district, like admin, uh, public office, they, uh, central office, I'm sorry, they sent like some high schoolers down during the summer for summer work. They helped me clean it out. I guess uh, they got some people to paint the room, everything like that. And we had like 150 brand new band instruments. Yo, okay, uh, Mr. Desinor, save you uh, million. And then after that, they had okay, we Mr. had Desinor's like, opus. <laughs> <laughs> and we had like an actual band program. Like it was, uh, and I the year uh, changed. We got a new principal come in there. I'm not gonna lie, I didn't get along with her, but there was a lot of stuff on my side of things that I didn't do right as far as just like coming at her about my concerns. There was some stuff that she didn't do right as far as like. Uh, listening concerns and things like that. Like after that year, that was one thing I had to realize is that I was actually able to teach though. As much as we like butted heads, I was able to teach. And I, I even sent her an email like a few, a couple years ago. I haven't taught in DC since 2014 and maybe 2016. I sent her an email. I was just like, as much as we butted heads, I was able to teach that year. Like, and I, I was very thankful for that. Like kids were able to come in, they were able to play and everything like that. So that year was a chance. I remember a kid that would like, you know, not even think twice about trying to curse me out the year before. The second year, I remember I was teaching and he was an eighth grader at this point and he came in and I was doing something and some people were like whispering and talking in their seats and stuff. And then he said, shut up, Mr. Desmo trying to teach. And I, I looked back and I had to just stop like, wait, what? And I didn't even correct him. Like, you know, I just don't say shut up or anything like that. I was just like, Okay, y'all heard him. Right. I was just like, y'all heard what he said. And and I just kept teaching. But that was like one thing that stood out to me. It was like night and day. Like, Mm -hmm. I I didn't really have any behavior problems. If I did, it's like, it was one of those things where the the culture was that the kids liked being in in there enough that if somebody else was wasting their time, they would speak on it before I did. Right. Um, So, yeah, that was just like, like I said, low to high like that. I was able to actually have a band program. Um and start that at the school. I'm not, I'm purposefully not saying the name because even while I was doing it, teachers like would come up to me in professional developments from around the, uh, the city. And they would say, Oh, I heard about your school. Um, when I would tell them the name of the school and I would say, yeah, like I'm the teacher. Then they would say, Oh, we heard about all this stuff you did and everything like that. And my thing is, I don't care about my name being on that legacy. Mm-hmm. Like if for years, if 20 years from now, there's a thriving band program there. I don't care. Like, I don't need them to know uh, Richard Desno started this thing. Mm-hmm. I don't go back there. I heard them, uh, uh, they put up something online that was talking about the current uh, music program, the teacher, and was talking about how she turned the music program around. It was nothing before her and everything like that. Dang. And I was just like, honestly, the kids have something. I don't need You're them right. to know all of this stuff. I don't need them to say, okay, there was no music program, all this stuff. They have something. That's the one thing I care about and past that. I'm good. Like, I'm not going to sit there and fight it. Listen, in 20 years, they're going to have Denzel Washington's son playing you in a biopic. <laughs> right. <laughs> Could you imagine? Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm yeah. Richard. 
Eastside High Part Two. <laughs> Music Too bad. We, we we just mind our own business now. Now a preview come up of a of a movie about rich. I'm pissed because when when were you gonna tell us? <laughs> Never. <laughs> All right, so let's uh-huh. get into a little bit more specific about music theory. Okay. Um, so tell me the difference, like the main difference between studying music at a PWI, mm-hmm. like uh, you did your studies at Penn State and now you're at Eastman. Yeah. And I would say I started music theory study at Howard. Howard doesn't have a music theory program, but I would say I started I started there. Okay, let's be specific then. Just explain the difference between your main difference between studying music theory at Howard, mm-hmm. HBCU versus a PWI. Like how is it different? Like give me like one. I mean, one, those teachers uh, at predominantly white institutions, they had, those people were more steep in the field of music theory. Um, like I said, it's a lot of HBCUs. I'm not sure if any have actual theory PhD professors there. Um, I was fortunate enough to have teachers at Howard, um, Anthony Randolph, uh, Schultz, uh, Dr. Schultz, and Dr. O'Hea. Um, those are my theory teachers there and they actually like taught theory. They were composition teachers, but they really, uh, like laid into me with, uh, the rules of music theory. Um, and like I said, uh, around junior year, they started to teach me how to write about it and they tried to start like a music theory journal, Mm -hmm. um, at Howard. And that is kind of unheard of. Like you have something like that. Um, most schools don't even have a theory journal. Like Eastman has one. I know Indiana, Michigan, uh, I'm not even sure if Michigan still has theirs. It was called In Theory Only. Um, but Indiana, uh, Indiana has that. It's integral here. So the fact that they were even trying to do something yeah. like that, um, where people would put their student compositions in a couple of like little research papers or something. So I wrote like an analysis of Bach Fugue. And they t- it was like going... I used to think it was just like, okay, I'm just going to write about music and you know write a little paper and that was going to be it. And they showed me like the editing process how to format things, how to put examples in the right way, how to use Sibelius. Uh, that was mostly Randolph, like like how to uh, format ex- uh, examples inside of Sibelius. So I was able to do that. The one, th- uh, the the a big difference in between that is like, like I said, at PWIs, you have actual theory professors who go to conferences, who mm-hmm. write actual books about music theory. That was one thing that was there there was no difference in the, uh, like the expectation of excellence as far as me. Um, no one else was really sitting there talking about, Oh, I want to do theory, but I didn't notice a big shift in like my work ethic going to Penn state or coming here. The only thing that was different is that coming from, uh, Penn state and Howard to here, it's like, there's a bunch of people that are good at theory. Like if I go to Howard now, or I talk to people, I went to a get together a few, uh, maybe two, three years ago, and people were talking about. Uh, they were like, "Oh yeah, Richard, you still do that theory stuff." Like people know me for that. Uh, mm-hmm. People knew That's me dope. at Howard uh, for theory and history. Like they needed tutoring before final or something like that. They knew me for that. Or uh, I remember my freshman year, I was tutoring like uh, seniors in piano proficiency because you had to graduate uh, being able to play certain things with piano and theory things. So I was able to do that. And once I once I came here, it was just like. I'm not the only good person in music theory anymore. There are like 20 other PhD students in theory. And I would say that was the biggest uh, difference to me. Um, I don't feel like I've been treated here or at Penn State uh, any differently uh, coming from an HBC or anything like that. But yeah, there was no no difference in in terms of like what they expected from me. Dr. Randolph at Howard, uh, black 
composition teacher, he didn't tell me, well, okay, you just begin at this or you might not be able to make a career of this or anything like that. Every year I try to send more. Every once in a while I try to send him an update as to what I'm doing. Um, and he was able to actually come to the National Theory Conference when it was it was in D.C. Uh, two years ago, um, 2017. And he came and spoke uh, because it was a diversity uh, panel. And he came and talked about like um, like his, uh, his experience with me and things like that. And there were uh, other teachers there um, and their students. So it was just like that. I, I won't say there was a big difference in terms of that. It's just like, you're going to go off of what you know. So it's mm -hmm. like these teachers, a theory professor, they've been doing this for a long time. Obviously they're going to know more about the field, but yeah, in terms of excellence, it was still expected of me at, at those three schools. And I'm very like grateful right. for that. All right. So we already got into this at the very beginning of the episode, but I'm sure everyone is wondering. I mean, I just realized I'm dying to know. Right. So why music theory? Like why? We already why we already theory? we already went through. You know, we know your finger slipped and all that. But why did you why did you stay after after exactly. the finger after slipped? you realized that you know you wanted to do bagpipe performance? <laughs> you, um, you had your didgeridoo all packed up, ready to go. Ready to go. <laughs> and your finger slipped, and you accidentally stumbled into the music theory program. Why did you stay? All right. I'm I'm a weirdo when it comes to like making career choices or like what I wanted to do. I knew since like the seventh grade that I love music theory. Oh, I, I've sorry. always seventh grade. I'm not gonna lie. I can show you guys a scan I made of something that I found in my parents' house where I wrote out like all the scales and all the one four five progression to every key, all the fingerings for all the stuff. Like this is stuff like middle school I was doing, and it wasn't. It's not like oh he was that smart or something. It's just music theory. Like there are people who perform just. Music yes, theory. It's all, just music. See, that's the that's the thing that that's one of the things that I want to change is that people hear music theory, especially people at uh, HBCUs or minorities. They hear music theory and it's like, and rightfully so. It's like, oh my goodness, like, what am I supposed to do with that? And no, I want to be able to change that perception. Like because the, some people just want to play a sonata. They're not thinking about tri-modular blocks. They're not <laughs> thinking about this one go to these and this one go down and and, and no parallel fifths. And, and people just want to live, man. Like People just want to live. That's all we want to do. We want to be great. We care about that junk. Like every every beat, I got to analyze. Got to spend right. 50 minutes. And then you get to the end and you got two leading tones and now you're like, where did you go wrong? Nah, <laughs> oh, man. You can't really want to do that. You got to start all over. Uh, erase it all. Be, might as well erase it all because you got to go figure it. Nah, junk is terrible. That's the fun part. No, I'm joking. Uh, no, really. Uh, I've always found joy in being able to see, like, uh, see how things work like that. Okay, I mean, I'll I'm not like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Benjamin, what's his name? He took apart the watch. I forgot his name. Oh, my goodness. Why would I know that? I know it's a black inventor. Uh, it's not Carver. About. Carver was peanuts. Benjamin something. I'll figure it I'll out. I'll look it up. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I've always liked that to see how things work. Like my favorite toy when I was a kid was Transformers. Like I like toys that you had to memorize directions, be able to turn it from a, a person or like a humanoid figure into a car. Like I've always liked that. So music theory is the same way. And I'll admit sometimes music theory goes, I, I feel like I won't say it goes too far, but yeah, I would say that. I would, I would, I would say it goes above and beyond. I would, let me not say it goes and, too and far. I would say sometimes you don't need to know as much as people push on you. Yes. Um, in Especially order to here. understand what goes on with music, like I don't think like knowing the stuff is gonna hurt. But sometimes it's just like if you know if you need to know the the basics of how this thing works, 
and how to um, how can this theory inform my practice? How how is this going to help me play this sonata better? How is it going to make me understand this music better? I think that's the whole point of it. Um, now, when you start getting into uh, a lot of the more loftier things that the general public um, might not be more aware of, like more readily aware of, yeah, you might have an argument. Not to say that this stuff shouldn't exist. I won't ever say that about a lot of theory stuff, but yeah, I can understand like the frustration about it. Um, yeah, uh, I don't, but it's not that. It's not that hard. Is it that hard? Okay, music theory. I wouldn't say for me it was so hard. Mm-hmm. I would just say one, Eastman does way too much. Two, um, it's too mistake ridden. Like you gotta. It's like you make one little mistake, now you got to go all the way back. I will say, like, learning some stuff was kind of cool. You but know the what thing saying? is, on your instrument, I mean, one, a theory at Eastman is a big deal because most of, like, the leading theorists have either gone here or taught here or still teach here or they've written books or anything like that. Like, the standard theory books you think about, uh, one, Steve Lates, he taught here for, like, 30 yeah, years. I love that Lates book, yeah, uh, but uh, Bessie Marvin's book, uh, she's one of the theory professors here. Like, that is widely used across the country. Mm-hmm. A lot of, like, uh, articles and things that people cite have been written by people, like I said, who've come up through here either with a PhD or they taught here. So, of course, they're going to, like, push theory a lot more. The academic side, they believe that the academic side should still be able to bolster that. It's not like they say, okay, you just need to teach theory. I don't think any theory professor at Eastman is like, we're just going to put theory in the curriculum just so we can have a job or something like they do believe that this stuff is important to your understanding of music and just being a great musician. But mm-hmm. I, I, I definitely like agree with that. I definitely will say like my first exposure to music theory was in undergrad because I just didn't do that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. what's in high school, my teachers didn't really talk about, they talk about scales, whatever, like, but we, I played scales just like, I didn't really, I don't know how to explain. Like, I didn't know how they functioned. I was just like, like you have to play, you have state auditions or whatever. So you just play some scales mm-hmm. and like, like it's out of tune, but I'm not hearing three going to four. I'm not hearing seven going to eight. I'm not hearing none of that. I'm just playing scales. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And I wasn't taught to hear them. So oral skills in my undergrad definitely saved my life because that's when I started to be able to like play more in tune because I'm like, okay, like these are more than just dots on the page. And of course, like I knew that, but I didn't really know that. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm doing music theory, learning aura skills and stuff like that. Like definitely, it's just like, I don't know. I just, I don't hate music theory. I just, I hate doing things that aren't viola. <laughs> I see Delaney's over there making happy faces. I'm ha- just trying to figure that out. Listen, I just don't, I don't hate music theory. I don't like aural skills. I don't like things that involve my ears because now y'all over here having me dictate. I don't be hearing sounds all that high. I don't know what none of that is. <laughs> meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, the rest of us are hearing that in the no, no, in the Bible. Exactly, but how often do we do bass dictations in relation to or or melodic dictations? We do melodic dictations way more often. Yeah. So if I'm doing a, t- a theory test and I got three melodic dictations and one bass dictation, I get everything right in bass dictation. I still fail the test. I'm you know, Listen. this is the thing that, uh, that and I, I don't care whether it's at the HBC or PWR or anything like that. I think the main thing that frustrates people about music theory is that one music theory, most of the stuff that you learn or I think almost everything you learn is within uh, all the structures and all this stuff, the rules and everything. This stuff is at work in the music that you've been performing before you got to the theory program is going to be in that music after. So. That's one thing people like have to come to realize. And then the second thing, uh, or the main thing that I think people um, get frustrated about music theory is that you've been good at music. And this is something I tell my students, uh, too, at the beginning of class each semester. 
you've been good at this thing called music for a long time, at least some years before you got into college. And then you've gotten like into like all state competitions, all county, you've done all this thing, won all these competitions, all this stuff. People are telling you you're a great musician. You've gotten into like Eastman, you got into Curtis, you got into, you got into all these, you got all these acceptance letters and it's like, great. It's just further confirming your thought that I'm a great musician. And you get into a school and you're like, man, I'm going to take these lessons. I'm going to get into New York film. You do all this stuff. And it's like, good, I'm a good musician. And then all of a sudden, you have to take this course that is describing the music your freshman year. You have to take this course that's describing the same music that you play. So you might have played like a, a Beethoven uh, violin concerto or something like that your senior year in high school. And then your freshman year at Eastman, this shows up as an example in your theory homework. And then it's asking you what chord progression is this or something, or what's wrong with this measure or doing all this stuff. And then now all of a sudden you're bad at music. You, you, or you're not really bad at it, but you feel like, Oh, there's something I don't know. And then it makes you, because it's like on paper and it feels like it is important. It is definitely important, but it's almost just like your view of yourself as a musician starts to, I don't want to say it suffers. I don't think people just say, okay, I can't play music anymore. But it makes you feel as though you're uh, not good at something you thought you were good at for a long time. And I don't think that's something people actively think about, but it is frustrating. You get into a classroom or something like that, and you have to, like you said, follow this rule that tells you parallel fifths can't happen or you can't double leading tone and all this stuff. And you're basically just writing tonal music. Mm-hmm. And then somebody says, oh, this is wrong. They mark up your paper and everything like that. But then the next day, you and your lessons, you know, killing some duets or killing the uh, concerto or something like that and it's like how do i reconcile that like i can't do this as well as i play my instrument and that's a hard thing for people to uh, be able to come to realization of but i don't want to say it's not all that bad because that that's relative for me like i know what theory does for me i know how it works and everything like that but i do understand when students are like yo like this is like pissing me off like i don't feel like doing this right now so I think that's a conception that people need to be able to fight in the academy no matter where it is. Um, Like students and being able to uh, join the two, like how often do you hear? And that's another thing. People don't hear about theory when they leave the classroom. Mm -hmm. So you get a private lesson, all that stuff you learn for four semesters, no one talks about it. Mm -hmm. Like your private lesson teacher just like get this right. You got a recital coming up. And Mm -hmm. how often do they say, uh, listen to this? like phrasing or something like like you go over phrasing and everything like that but they don't like there's no like uh no connect between what you do in the classroom and what you do in the private lesson Ooh, thank god because yeah. my teacher would be looking at me like oh, how you get this i think flag? that would make it easier for Listen, people to understand it's my not, assignments you see my assignments separate. they'd be looking like the japanese flag <laughs> <laughs> shut up look my 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 tas be like i'm running out of red ink delay <laughs> you owe me <laughs> I mean, the closest I get to analyzing music I play is Bach. And I haven't done that in a minute. Because, like, if I'm wanting a prelude or whatever, I'll be like, all right, I can put some chord tones in here because I'm going to use the, I'm, the chord tones. Okay, you see how far I'm going. I'm going to look, <laughs> I'm going to put some chords in there. I'm going to put, I'm going to go through and analyze the whole thing so I could use those to help me phrase. You know, mm-hmm. maybe if I could, maybe if I could see like a certain chord, I'd be like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shape it this way. You know, I haven't done it in a little minute, but well, imagine like if you went into a lesson and you guys like actually taught, uh, you actually went over all the stuff, maybe not right away. Cause your freshman year is like, Oh, this is a B flat key signature. You're not going to be able to use everything right away. But like, imagine like your junior year or the end of your sophomore year, 
your teacher started to talk about that stuff or in the middle of a rehearsal, your teacher, uh, the conductor started asking you uh, questions about music theory, not real hard questions like um, this theorist discussed this and this art. I'm not talking about that, but just like in a general sense, like this chord what does it make you feel like when it goes to this place? Why Why do you think composer did something like this? Like quick things that they, even if they're not going to ask a question, they could just like mm-hmm. explain on the spot. I think it will make theory more applicable. But if you're just doing it and it feels like I'm only doing this for a grade for two and a half years. I, yeah, I see the frustration if you don't feel like it's like what's the value in mm-hmm. doing it. But I mean, I think that's what Eastman does, uh, does well. And they do better than other institutions that they uh, really push you to uh, make those connections between the music that you're performing and the music that um, you go over in class to be able to hear those connections. Like when I had a student uh, last year run up to me and at, after class and show me that something that they're playing a recital, I was like, oh my God, uh, Richard, this is a tonic expansion or something like that. I was like, what? So, I mean, that's great. I mean, yeah, after a while, it's like you can go too far with theory, like I said, but that wasn't something that goes right. too far because the way she described it within those five minutes, she understood that it was tonic prolongation. She understood that, hey, I probably shouldn't break the phrasing here. She had like a debate with her teacher because um, to break the phrasing, it will break it in the middle of the expansion or something like that. So I was okay, just like, go off, little sis. Yeah, so I was like, okay, like I'm good. If I, if I did my job that way, or not me did my job, the theory uh, did its job to explain how to perform it. So. Yeah, she got her professor writing you up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you got her talking on her neck. Right. You look in your portal, all your scholarship going. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so um, last couple questions. Mm-hmm. Tell us about being black in class classical music specifically you know when i tell people like yeah i got a friend richard he's saying theory phd richard and he's like okay like where's he from like dc he black he's like what like that's to me like it's such a huge deal i mean i know like whatever you humble whatever that's nice but like it's a huge deal that you're a black man mm-hmm. getting a phd in music theory so and you black black, too. And you black, black. <laughs> you're not never mind y'all know y'all know <laughs> like richard huh trifling so um tell us about being black in classical music specifically being black in this field and any adversity or struggles you had you talked a little bit about affording instruments but let's get into like the theory stuff and stuff like that okay so i never really noticed anything that was like a miss when i was coming up um and really wanted to get into music theory like i said when i was at howard there was no theory program or like anything like that so i remember dr randolph he gave me the like the main theory journal was the music theory spectrum he gave me a copy of it It was a spring 2008 edition and he gave it to me and he was like if you're really serious about this you need to like go through and look at how they write it and i saw it and i was like yo like i'm not gonna lie i didn't understand anything that was going on and it was just like it was so much it was so dense and everything so um that was something i noticed but it wasn't just like it stood out to me as something that like that was just impossible. I I will admit at the time I thought like, yo, I can't do this. Like, I don't think there's something. So that was for years. I didn't really try. And until I, uh, I applied and I got into the program at Penn state. But even when I went there, I don't, they asked me one of my professors, he asked me at the end of the year, Eric McKee, he asked me, um, he's a theory professor. He asked me how, was my experience at Eastman, everything like that. Um, especially, and I think he wanted to know mainly as like uh, a student of color, black student coming in through the program because we don't really do stuff like this. Mm-hmm. How was it? And 
I told him and I meant it. Like, I never remember feeling like out of place at Penn State. And if you ever go to Penn State, Penn State is, I think, like 70, 75% white. I never remember. I noticed like being a student around campus, like I'll go to the gym, I'll go get something to eat, just being in state college. I noticed like, okay, I'm one of only like, I think it's uh, Penn State was like 4% black when I was there, or at least the graduate program. So I noticed things like that. But within the department, even though I knew I was one of like few graduate students that were black, I never remember feeling like out of place. And that was one thing I was really thankful for. Even here at Eastman, I never experienced that. I never uh, remember. For granted, I'm grown, so I'm not even worried about right. that. Right. At the certain um, point, you'd be like, Psh. Exactly. Like, I'm not sitting there thinking about, like, oh, man, this person is, like, trying to say something about me. And that hasn't happened, but still, I haven't, I'm not worried about that. Um, it wasn't until I got to the theory conference and they did, like, the, the, what is that? Like, the, they went over, like, the number of members and all that stuff. And I think it was, like, over a thousand members that were registered for the National Theory um, Society. And, I want to say out of all those people, it was probably, I think it was less than 10 black people um, as a wow. part of that. And I know for myself, uh, I can't, I don't know how many, I think there's one theory professor that teaches at Baylor. It's a black guy. I'm not sure if he's a theory PhD, but as far as students right now in the field, um, black men, it's me. There's this guy at Yale, uh, Clifton. Um, I can't remember his last, I think it's Clifton Boyd. Uh, he's a student at Yale right now. Uh, you sound black. You sound black. Boyd? <laughs> he's black, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Clifton Boyd. Uh, and, yeah, I can't think of any other black man. I think it's one. He was at, like, Cooney or something like that. So, it's not a lot of us doing this. He's so where? Uh, Cooney. Oh. Cooney? Oh, is it Cooney? I should say it like that so you don't think they just saw Cooney. No, I thought you was calling him Cooney. I was like, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Are you good? <laughs> no, no. Oh my goodness. No. Could you imagine? Yeah, man, you're cool. No. <laughs> no, this kid, I don't even remember his name. Like, he's, I just remember him being there and then I uh, asked him, uh, it's either that, it's either CUNY or uh, SUNY, but I remember it's some, uh, it's a school in New York. Oh, probably um, SUNY. Yeah, so he, uh, Light skinned dude had like he had like a fro kind of or something like that. I saw him. I don't know if he was trying to get into a PhD program or something, but that's the only one that uh, that's the only person um, that I saw that was like a PhD student that's black. And outside of that, um, even women, and I think it might be like a couple of other ones of us or something that I don't know right now, but and then black women there, I don't know any professors. Black women professor. I know one. She went to Eastman actually, uh, nineteen eighty four. She graduated. She did a dissertation with Coleridge Taylor, um, Jewel Taylor Thompson. She teaches, I think, history and choral music at SUNY. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if she was uh, she's still there, but a couple of years ago, as of a couple of years ago, she was there. Um, so yeah, that is something that you kind of have to combat because like, and I especially say that for uh, female side of things because. Um, black women in this field period um i mean it's a male dominated field like white male dominated field Mm -hmm. um coming as a black male yes it's a big change but especially as a female uh trying to make those inroads trying to make those changes and everything like that the fact that i only know of two black women that are in a music theory program and they're at eastman um elena mckee and uh lissa reed those two are uh at this institution so we kind of like black heavy on the side of like who has uh, the that many uh, black students in music theory. 
Um, but like I said, this uh, we're trying. Like, is is yeah. I won't I won't say it's like uh, uh, I've ex- I've experienced a lot of adversity uh, mm-hmm. coming through a theory program. Um, the only thing is like I didn't go to, I didn't start off at an institution that you know prepared me since freshman year. But I don't think a lot of theory students did yeah. that um, that I experienced or anything like that. But I've seen only excellence from the people who've come through it. Like I talked to uh, students here, like Elaine McKee, she teaches uh, on the river camp. She's teaching like a writing uh, course on the river campus. Um, She teaches here. She teaches grad review here, uh, the grad review theory. So, and those are courses that they only let you do after a while, like to really get your stuff into place. So it's not like they just let in anybody, even like students like Lisa Reed, she's doing uh, cognition research, like, dumb smart about uh stuff related to um how we process music how we think about it um i can't remember what clifton is doing at yale um i don't think i've ever talked to him about research i think we got in an argument once about shanker or something um that's how i that's knew what y'all I was, arguing about i need it wasn't even an argument problem was, was. that's the thing it wasn't even it was a debate like afterwards oh, we were shanker. like oh cool yeah um <laughs> that's how i knew i was kind of like stuck like, uh, that was right before I got into, uh, PhD programs, uh, got like my acceptance letters and everything. We were at the conference in 2015 and we were sitting there. It was like a, like the little get together, people like drinking everything like that. I don't know how we started to, I don't even care about Schenker, but we started talking about it and I was just like, Oh, like maybe this is something I need to keep doing. So yeah, I mean, you experienced little stuff as a black student at, uh, like when I was at Penn state, people thought I was, uh, an athlete or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you're going to get they, microaggressions everywhere because you're yeah, just like, tired. Yeah, like, or you might be, like, if I go into the fitness center or something like that, it's like, oh, you must be on the basketball team or something like that. Or... Oh, you a vocalist. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Or, I love that one. Exactly. Or if I went to... When, I'm, when I've been here, I don't remember anybody saying that, but, uh, of course, no one say that, Easton, because <laughs> there's no sports team here. But um, I think the most I ever got, like, my first year here... I would get stopped, like, if I tried to come in. Like, I remember, like, three different times I would get stopped coming into the building. And this was, like, to see my theory students perform. Because, like I said, music theory isn't just a classroom. So I would always ask them, hey, when's your recital? Something like that. And one day I was coming in, and I went to uh, try to go to Kilbourne. And I had, they stopped me. I was like, hey, uh, everybody's walking in, like, from the public. And then they stopped me. I was like, hey, uh, can I help you? And I was like, wait, what? I'm like, I, in my head, I'm thinking I teach theory here, but I got to remember, like, at that time, like, I I was going, like, a year without shaving or cutting my hair, but still, that shouldn't have been a thing because right. students here do that. Exactly. Like, other students, white students here do that, so that shouldn't have been a big deal. Right. Um, and uh, I Yeah, exactly. I just saw somebody with their feet on the table in the lap. I said, <laughs> I must move out of this building. People eat on this. <laughs> students at Eastman, you got athletes. College is not that hard. You yeah. know, like, you it's not that hard to the point that, like, yo... Yo, hygiene goes. I, I don't care how hard college got. Like, daily nah, showers. That's the thing. It's not even hard. It's like, that's easy. Oh, it's like, oh, I'm just having fun. So I'm going to just do that. But anyway, yeah. Uh, that was something I remember. And like, one day I was going in. And then, you know, you swiping the IDs. This was before they got all those extra security in the oh, building. Oh, TSA? Hmm? <laughs> TSA? No. TSA. That's what you call them? TSA? <laughs> I was late to class. left to find my ID. For real? Yes. And take those shoes off, go through the scanner. <laughs> right. You got to like this. Get your hair pat down. <laughs> get my hair pat down. Yeah. Yeah, this was before all this. This was like two years ago. So I was coming in and then I was like, you know how students, one person swipe, a bunch of people go in. Yeah. So I'm like the last one in line going in. And security guy, he came out, so everybody walking in. 
and he did a double take and then he was like, can I see your ID? Then I asked like the five other people that went through and I was just like, at this point, I can't keep like arguing or something like that. It was only one time, the last time that happened, I was going to a concert and that happened. And then I kind of like bucked and I said something back or whatever. And then he realized like, oh, like I messed up and he didn't say anything back and he just went on about his business. But I mean, most of the time it's like the only thing that bothers me about stuff like that happening is one, I don't think it reflects Eastman as a whole. Okay, like, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't um, say that. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it reflects Eastman at all like that. But uh, on top of that, or the uh, the thing that, not on top of that, the one thing that does bother me about something like that is if that happens to a student that couldn't handle something like that, like you got a freshman and they've never been in an environment where they were around people other than black people. Like I went 26 years with only being around black people. Luckily, I was able to work with other students and stuff like that in different districts through all state or something. But I was always like in like a black, black environment, not just like old black people. Have, I mean, like for real. And that was one thing I was uh, fortunate enough. Like I was able to at least have years of being grown, being in the real world to at least, you know, give me that buffer between going right. to back to school. But somebody who just goes straight through his high school, they do all this stuff and they get in the East. It's like, yeah. And then. Somebody come out and they be, you know, call police on you or something like that, or they stop you or yeah. something, and they like hassle you. Like that's the thing that I'm worried about. Yeah. Something like that happen, but that could happen anywhere. So right. like, like I said, that that doesn't reflect badly on Eastman or anything like that. It's just like it's one of those things they just got to teach people. Um, like, yeah, there's people like me are gonna start being in. The, I don't know if they're gonna be in theory, but they're gonna be more people that look like us exactly. in music programs. Like period, um, and that's one of the points of this podcast to be able to say like we're here and we're not we're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, um, all tying it in. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> I forgot. Full <laughs> circle, sonata form, recapitulation. You you should got to just <laughs> ruin stuff. Like anybody asked for all <laughs> that. Let me say. You had you, you had us and then you lost us. So, uh, so what do you have to say uh, about black students or two black students that want to enter music theory? I, I think guess. students. First of all, like for myself, I know I wanted I wanted to get into it to be able to change people's perception, so it's not like this this big field that you know you couldn't get into. Um, like you open up a theory book, there's not any discussions about black music. Whenever whenever you ever seen um, someone talk about like like I said with gospel music or R and B or or anything, if they incorporate jazz, it's always at the expense of what jazz is actually doing. You know what I mean? Like to I'm going to use this European theory, yeah, European theory to explain like tritones or something like that or resolution and everything. And this stuff happens in jazz. Jazz is has a uh, European background as far as like triadic structure, all that stuff like that. But I, if you see yourself in the field, you need to be able to see that either with, yeah. even if it's just a one professor, like I don't remember being able to see an actual theory PhD professor that looked like me. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't stop me because it was something that I always wanted to do. And it was right. like, regardless of who was in, who's the gatekeeper or anything like that, I was going to be able to do it. But um, as far as advice to those other students, I would say to keep that, keep that close to you. Um, I, I would say the biggest thing for them is to not, don't get into this field to like, to just extend stuff that's already happening. Like, like be a trailblazer, you know, do something that's different. Um, right. Don't come in. That's really, that advice goes to anybody that's coming into it. If you're just going to write about the same people and talk about the same things and perpetuate the same stereotypes about music theory, 
as people who's come before, um, you're not doing yourself or anybody mm-hmm. else uh, uh, um, any service. But if they really want to get into this field, they have to start early as far as like writing. That's a big thing. Yeah, um, I imagine. Yeah, not even just like uh, I used to take theory uh, as far back as like elementary school. I used to take the books that this was before audio books because now I'm showing my age, but. Um, <laughs> like the novels and stuff like that they used to come in a little ziploc bag yep, I know exactly with the cassette about. tape yep. yeah <laughs> so i would look at those and i would try to get the ones that's a little bit more advanced right before they stopped including the tape with them but like the young adult books and everything like that and i would listen to people like how they pronounce words i would like while i'm going through a book and like having somebody read along i would see how um i had to do all this because my parents are like immigrants so it's like only so much they could teach me about the english structure and everything right. like that um, and I could get only so much from school. So it's just like, I was sitting there doing that and seeing like, how do they put sentences together? Where's the comma going? Um, how do they use quotation marks? All this weird stuff. Like I just mm-hmm. sat there and doing that. And then when I got older, like that stuff helped me. So I'm glad I had professors, like, like I said, like Dr. Randolph who taught me like writing is a big deal. Can you express yourself, express your thoughts, uh, on paper in an intelligent way? Um, if anything you get from, even if you don't go into music theory, I think that's something that we, that, that, uh, people need to be able to do. So I think if you're going to get into music theory, that should be one of the biggest things that you, uh, learn how to do, but no, no, above all else, like this, this should be your passion. Just like anything else you do, you see a bunch of people who perform and that's something that is a little bit more like hands-on you can get on stage and do stuff and then they go through four years of a degree at juilliard or eastman and then they quit um so don't i'll say don't waste your life on theory if it's not something you know you want to do but also know that even if you're black and you're in this field and you don't see representation you are capable of doing this right um don't let the don't go to a conference and see like you just see richard and like Elena and and lissa and uh clifton it's like oh it's five of y'all here and it's like a thousand other people like, don't let that scare you. One of us is here. Even if it was zero, like, you're there. Right. So, like, we've already proven we can get into any field. We got into golf. So, uh. like, <laughs> we can get into anything. Like, that don't. Is, what? Yeah, wow. I saw a dude playing hockey the other day on TV. I was just like, a black dude in the National Hockey League. Like, we can do this, anything. This season was a range. We can't have anything. Exactly. <laughs> so, no. Like, you might have to try harder to get access. And that's the, I think that's something that people try to fight for in diversity. Because a lot of times they just talk about, well, we need to be more diverse. We need to talk about. Oh, that's great. And that's something you need to do. But accessibility is a big thing, yeah. too. Like, you need to be able to branch out. And uh, we, as, like, people in institutions like this, we need to be able to um, make those inroads with other institutions to be able to, even if it's not to make theory majors out of people, just to be able to say, Hey, this thing is not as scary as you thought. Right. Um, so hopefully I can steer people in the right direction with that sort of advice. But yeah, I don't know. Well, Richard, thank you so much for joining us. Are you wisdom? This is the most serious I've ever seen Richard B. Oh, <laughs> I'm playing. <laughs> no, that's good. <laughs> that means I I used it all up. I don't have to be serious for like another year. Now or we now like we that. in turmoil because Richard some of the stuff Richard anyway. Told you. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for joining us, Richard. Um, we can't find you anywhere because you're again social media and. <laughs> no, I do not use social media. Uh, I don't know why people use it. So. Freaking Richard, his 
picture on his emails a duck like you would just <laughs> annoying however oh, yeah no he has a top hat so he's a he's a professional of some sort so. <laughs> y'all feel we did <laughs> like this is just a tip of the iceberg you forgot it's... the top hat so and doesn't he have like a thing oh he has a monocle a too. monocle he has a monocle too oh, he's smart he's smart yeah. smart but that's my only online presence is my email so however we will link um his uh <laughs> What are we gonna link? We'll link. He's on the Eastman website. His bio is on the Eastman website. No, it's not. I thought it's, it's on, on the theory website now. Is, it's oh, on it there. It's just no now. picture. Because yeah. I remember, I remember scrolling and seeing everybody. They got a picture. They got this long bio, and then just says Richard doesn't know it. But I remember. I was fighting to keep that there. off to keep even my name off. But I was just like, if I'm really like serious about people knowing that we exist, I can't just like. It wasn't like I was hiding. It's just like, y'all already know I don't want an online presence. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like I find, I, I joke about social media. I don't find it to really be like this evil thing. I think people can use it in the right way. Like you guys are doing your thing uh, through this and social media is a big part of that. So I won't fight against that. It's just like, for what? <laughs> so you have a picture up there now. He has a picture up there. Oh, shut And okay. it's a little just, bio. So that's why I was like, Link, what? Because last time yeah. I checked, it wasn't nothing up there. <laughs> no, they just put it up uh, like the middle of last semester. Oh, okay. Oh, shoot. Oh, there's another picture when you Google Richard. Because I Googled him and there was only that one. That just, okay. Yeah, that's the reason. one that he took that with uh, when he did a little photo. I can't even find it now. I got to be. Oh, current students. Yeah, it's up there. I just want to. Wait, I just got to see this for myself. <gasps> <laughs> now I want to make sure people knew, like, okay, like, there's a student from an HBCU at an institution He's like this. He's annoying. He enjoys smiling in his spare time. <laughs> We're not linking this. There's no <laughs> point. <laughs> you did not put that. It's right. What? <laughs> we are moving on. <laughs> All right, y'all, it's time for Black Excellence, where we hype you up, gas you up, and give you your props, because there's room for everybody at the top. Who you got, Delaney? Okay, wordsmith. Girl. <laughs> okay, so this week for Black Excellence, I'm highlighting our friends, Marcus Jefferson and Jonathan Rhodes. Hey, y'all. <laughs> the reason why is because, so we recently had this recital for Black History Month, um, and it was all Black composers and lots of Black musicians here at Eastman. And Marcus and Jonathan had no regard for my interests. Not one regard. I'm, t- I'm, t- I'm so tired of y'all talented black people that just have no regard. My edges are melting. Cinch- you know how like <laughs> in cartoons, you get too close to a fire, your eyebrows cinch mm-hmm. off. My edges, I'm getting a dustpan embarrassed <laughs> trying to sweep up my stuff. And y'all just be like, whoo. Like, it's just not. <laughs> They're singers, by the way. So that makes sense. <laughs> it's just like, or Adrian, when he... He, uh, I talked for Mr. Taylor this week and he did a lesson and now I'm scrambling trying to figure out okay, what am I going to say to him because, <laughs> because like he's like a lot of the stuff is polished already mm-hmm. he's just like he's about to record for stuff I'm like what am I what am I going to say to him when Marcus and Jonathan was singing I was, like, <laughs> I was like what are your teachers teaching you what exactly what he could what <laughs> like I just don't get it I remember they, Marcus went to do auditions he was so tired of me because I was like so you went to the school to audition for faculty you're doing or, your interview for dean or, or a guest artist series and he's like what are you talking i'm like because what further can anyone what are they teaching you i mean why go back and forth and just <coughs> you know like why would you just go tit for tat with your teacher right i mean are you guys doing this as like a peer review or i, I mean i guess you know i guess it would kind of lead to this sing duets with your teacher for two years right 
Oh, uh, so on the recital, they sang this duet. Uh, Sometimes I feel like a motherless child by Henry T. Burley. And I tell you, I've been watching this video. It's on YouTube, and I'm gonna link it and everything. But when I say I've been watching this video over and over again, because when they, oh, I'll be I like, was, yes. And at the end, it, it's <laughs> and me and Rayvon were in there like it was almost a church moment. I was like, if y'all don't sing down <laughs> for real, I was like, listen, y'all better, y'all just, better sing. <laughs> I just could not. I was just um. <laughs> Let me tell you what I did. So basically when I put the videos on YouTube, I sent everybody an email letting you know, like, oh, here's your video, whatever. So I was being extra in everybody's email inbox, of course, because I'm me. Because why not? What's wrong with being extra? Exactly. So I emailed them. In all caps, I was like, warning, this video may send your edges off beyond repair. I mean, I think... (laughs) I think that's a fair warning. I mean, because you know what? It's winter time, you know what? So we're already, your edges are already subjected, okay, subjected to being brittle, you know, the cold and your natural hair or permed hair, doesn't really matter. It's susceptible to breakage. So now here you go. You've been moisturizing. You've been using your Jamaican castor oil. You've been deep conditioning weekly. And you go to a concert with Jonathan and Marcus just to find your what you thought were your cared for edges on the seat next to you and now what i just feel like you must give warnings i feel like we're we're teetering with like criminal activity because i feel like you must now you think they got confetti from coming from the ceiling nope your edges. nope your edges your four c hairs on the seat well thanks to marcus and jonathan thanks no <laughs> thanks for being black and excellent we really appreciate it no <laughs> But man, they just—they're just amazing, right? I can't wait, y'all. You guys must see this video. Like, I mean, be careful because, like, you like know, we, i mean, you've been warned. Tie tie your edges oh, down. Oh, that's a good. That's a good tip. Right. Tie Actually, you might want to lay them down with some cement. That because got to be loose, not gonna help you, baby girl. I'm or baby boy. Not. Doesn't matter. Now you looking mm-hmm. like uh the Jeffersons. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, all right. <laughs> um, you got a piece of the week for us. Okay, so um, my piece of the week goes to, of course, Adolphus Hale Stork. Um, it's a piece called Sanctum. Um, for Sanctum, it's a viola fantasy for viola and piano. And I stand Hale Stork. Everybody already knows that. I also stand Beverly Baker, who the piece was written for. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine. Oh, my God. And, like, it's such, it's such a cool piece. It's a modern piece. So I'm... I'm thinking about learning it for my recital. I haven't decided yet because this is a timeline. And like I was sh- showing Delaney the score earlier and it's like the whole like first two or three minutes is just solo viola with no bar lines. So I was like, it would be nice to have this organized <laughs> because now my, my metronome is on the eighth note because I'm like trying to figure it out, but um, it's an absolutely gorgeous piece. I'm definitely going to link the Spotify record and Beverly did a whole bunch of recordings of a lot of Hale Storks music. He did with a lot of chamber music and like, he's just out here. Um, Love this piece though. It's really cool. It got all type of weird stuff. Every, a lot of things that's indicative of Hale Stork. Hale Stork to me is like lots of runs, lots of chromaticism, but structure. Mm-hmm. I like structure. We went, uh, We'll talk about that in a later episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely check out this piece. It will be linked. And then check out also another album that she did a whole bunch of uh a whole bunch of other things. Other chamber music, not things. <laughs> other works by Hellstork. So yeah. 
Um, thank you for listening to Classic Black Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Classic Black Podcast. Don't forget to like this when we drop it. Don't forget to follow us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Apple, Apple. Music, Apple Podcasts. Everywhere. We everywhere. <laughs> gang, gang. <laughs> Join the Classical Music Gang, Classic Black Podcast. And we will see y'all next week. Bye, y'all. Bye.